0: Talking about all the way to the top, yeah. Unjustifiably in a position that I'd rather not be in, but the cream. Rise to the top, oh yeah. Macho Madness, yeah, has got more to offer than President Jack Tunney thinks that I got. Yeah, I am let me tell you something right now. Cards stacked against the Macho Man Randy Savage in WrestleMania 3. Yeah, hey, let me say it, yeah. Let me say it out loud. And let me point to the President of the World Wrestling Federation that the Macho Man Randy Savage is not happy with your decision, yeah. I am the cream in the World Wrestling Federation. Wait, wait a minute. and there is no doubt about it. Yeah, you mean Gene O'Kerlin. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Oh.
1: Wait wait a minute though, Randy, I've got to ask you very seriously. Do you blame Mr. Jack Tunney, the distinguished president of the World Wrestling Federation, for Ricky Steamboat being the Intercontinental Champion today? Yeah, I do, yeah.
0: Outside interference, yeah. In my moment of glory. Yeah, now I'm living in a nightmare. And I am the cream. And now, not only the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship belt must fall, but the World Heavyweight Championship belt. Because Hulk Hogan, yeah, I am the cream. Yeah, the cream of the crop, and there is no one that does it better than the macho man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are, yeah. And I'm talking to everyone in the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm even talking... President Jack Tunney, yeah, I'm on my way, and nothing is gonna stop me, nothing's gonna stop me, the cream of the crop, nobody does it better. The Top of with your host, OGM 8, The Professor. Good
1: shit. Late to every episode. Late so much, I'm going to have to buy you a pregnancy test. Bob Rude. <laughs>
0: I want to be a podcaster. Yay! Is my name go. Kenta?
2: I'm going to call him Kenta. Dynamite drop in, Monty. That broadcasting school is really paying off for you. <laughs> That's a bold statement, Cotton. Oh my god, mine just stopped recording.
1: No, we're good. We're still recording. What a
2: dick.
1: I'd cease and desist me. I'd see some me hard.
2: I need a minute to recover off that.
1: What kind of game is it? War games.
2: Let a war.
1: War games. You're I uh, Yeah, I know. That's the only thing I've said in the last half hour. Bark, Bark like, like a dog.
2: dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Jinx! Holy shit. How did that actually happen?
1: Here we
2: go. Get busy living or get busy dying, because it's Wednesday and you know what that means. The Top of Wrestling is here with another brand new episode, episode 11 of season 3. My name is the professor, Mark Fantasia, and thank you guys again for joining us for another episode. And this week, we're back with our top topic. And this week is going to be a fun one to debate a lot of uh, different scenarios if you will, this week is the top 25 feuds of all time. I can't wait to argue with, well, my
1: co host, my best friend, my man, ODM. How are you? What is your major malfunction, you fat barrel of monkey spunk? <laughs> Coming in hot! <laughs>
2: Oh, man. Well, of course, you know, if anybody wonders why he was so abrupt on that, you know that we not only bring you some good wrestling, but we also bring you some good movies. Last week was a Quentin Tarantino classic. You had to have figured it out at some point, but it was Reservoir Dogs. I'm pretty sure
1: when we said cutting the ear off, that yeah, was probably v yeah. one. We blurred the oh, well, Yeah, we didn't blur the lines, we just kinda opened it wide open and How about Macho
2: Man last week just talking to us and letting us know what like a virgin is all about? It's all about pain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like he lost his mojo a little bit towards the end there, but uh I think the story remains the same though.
2: Oh man. Well, I gotta say, rule number one no blasphemy. Not gonna have it here on this fucking podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> What's funny is that in a jail, the first and the first rule is no blasphemy, not killing, not raping. Yeah, so you know, Boggs can do whatever the fuck he wants as long as he well, doesn't swear.
1: Yeah, yeah. Salvation lies within.
2: <laughs> Ooh, these walls are funny. Well, I'm excited for this week because. Well, I mean, not a whole lot to talk about for news. We did have NXT TakeOver in your house. Mega throwback for for me personally. I just, we'll we'll get into that for sure. But, you know, before we start talking NXT news, or at least this pay-per-view, let's talk quickly about some of our news this week. If you have been waiting for Samoa Joe to pop up anywhere else, stop what you're doing because... He was at the Performance Center, and he has reportedly signed back with NXT in more of a authority role where it's going to be on screen, which, okay, we'll cut to the end of NXT TakeOver. Throughout the entire TakeOver, William Regal has just dealt with nothing but bullshit. Everybody fighting left and right, and... You even seen it a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago with the cross and Cole confrontation, but at the end of Takeover in your house, he said it's been pure bedlam. I yeah, you know, I love that he uses words that <laughs> that no one else would use. It was just awesome, and he said it's time for a change in NXT. I guess we can only assume that it's probably gonna be Samoa Joe if since that's how things are looking. But I don't know, man. I does he want to step away from on screen because i like regal in this role i've always loved him he is the nxt gm
1: yeah absolutely he basically uh he uh, he's definitely the mold for what we i would say at least what you and i look for in a gm right He, he fits the mold he is the mold um hopefully very very uh down
2: the middle he actually doesn't go one side or the other. He's actually always just comes out just to make the match that you want to see, as opposed to the authority figure like Triple H. I got to be the bad guy and all and put down all the good guys. No, they, like so you're right. Regal has been probably one of the best GMs that we've wanted to have, and we and we got it for so many years. Yeah, yeah. I don't want him to go. <laughs> so
1: well, yeah, and hopefully maybe it's something along the lines of Regal will still be the GM, and he just doesn't want to deal with this shit anymore. Therefore, he's just going to have an enforcer who just says, you guys get out of line, you're dealing with Joe. Oh, my God. Could you
2: imagine it being, that's just it, like the special enforcer, and every time something happens, Joe just comes in, chokes someone out, and take <laughs> off. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's gold. Yeah. That would be good because that's a swerve because I think pretty much the IWC right now is pretty much thinking Joe might be taking over.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds great and everything, but let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man <laughs> insane.
2: Uh, the world uh, got itself up in a big hurry there. <laughs> a big damn hurry. I like to think that the last thing that went through his head, other than the bullet. <laughs> that's that's just such a rare quick line that I don't think it's it is, much, yeah. that much appreciation. Such was, a good one, yeah. I, I one of my favorite things, honestly. Uh, man, the real southern dude, it was, it was Hayward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I came in to say fare thee well, you old crazy bastard. <laughs> put a knife to my neck.
1: <laughs> Come play any Hank Williams while you were at it. Sorry, they weren't taking requests.
2: Doesn't matter, Fish. He's dead. <laughs>
0: I want my mommy.
1: I had your mother last night. She wasn't that good. (laughs) He took the Lord's name in vain.
2: Fire as much as a mouse fart in here. That's a bullshit line, man. Yeah. Everyone's going to go to the infirmary. infirmary. Yeah. Everyone? Come on. (laughs) Uh, You know what the two words that... I'm going to let you answer it. Do you know what the first two words he said to him? You know, he didn't say two more than two words the very first time you walked by. Do you know what those were?
1: It was two whole weeks before Andy said more than two words to me. Vagina boobs.
2: <laughs> I had to ask you ahead of time, can we do the parody of this? Because
1: <laughs> My brother
2: once said I'll even give it right now since we're going to talk about the parody. This is my favorite one. He crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side.
1: Why he chose enchilada night, I will never know. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite was when he goes and he finds the tree. Do you remember the name of the town?
0: Crap.
1: <laughs> Two
2: things happened that day. Boggs never walked again, and Andy's farts never made a sound. <laughs> Uh, all right, prison rape jokes. All right, all we're off and running this week.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, so next up, I what li- other news do we have? Well, I, I have a little bit of piece of news. This is more of a breaking news story. It just came across. Uh, Robert Wright is an insensitive asshole, apparently, who just wants to uh, talk about how insensitive we are. I shouldn't have called him insensitive asshole. I don't know him, uh, but he's definitely a little uh, triggered. Triggered. It seems a little, a uh, little easy to agitate. Uh, had some comments about our use of Kevin Green's photos, which I think is quite possibly one of our best episode images ever. It just happened to be that while watching Nitro, I paused it, and, you know, Lord have mercy, it's a miracle.
2: Well, hey, the, the, the funny thing is that sometimes when you pause, you get the best images that we need, I mean, you've paused during a movie when someone looks funny or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. And that's how that Kevin Green logo came about. And we're going to be honest, that's how next week's logos come about. No no, uh, no spoilers, but that's a beautiful part about re-watching the Monday Night Wars. But yeah, so this guy says, "Uh, how dare you guys use... And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but how, how dare you guys use this. That's kind of insensitive considering he just died. All right, let's use the word just died. Kevin Green died in December of 2020. Now, while I do agree, it is sad that we lost a famous football player and a former pro wrestler. A couple things. One, he didn't just die. Two, we weren't mocking him in any way. The picture was Kevin Green eating a Slim Jim he was multitasking. He was training and promoting <laughs> Slim Jim at the same time on Nitro. Now, had that dude fucking
1: died from eating a Slim Jim? Yeah, we're insensitive pricks. Sure, sure. I can. I, you know what? I can totally get down with that. Or, I guess if you want to get really deep, maybe he had a Slim Jim addiction and that's what actually you know caused his death. I mean, I don't know if that, that's neither Look, here nor there, but
2: if it was Mongo, <laughs> wouldn't touch it right now. Sure. What's funny is that we did have a lot of mocking of mongo going towards the beginning of this season in mm-hmm. a way when we're like i can't believe him in this stupid little dog as soon as you see what's going on with you know his life right now you're like
1: all right, all right. fuck him you know yeah. not we'll, fuck him but more yeah. like fuck
2: it we're not gonna make fun of him it's like we, we know
1: we, we'll we take a pass it, you know what
2: i mean it was a picture of Kevin Green. Now, the only other thing is the name of the episode was My Dickhead Brother, but it doesn't mean that I'm related to Kevin Green. <laughs> so it was just an odd little thing. But And we signed off with the answer of saying, hey, just listen to the show. We're not mocking Kevin Green in any way. We're, we're talking about him getting prepared for a fight against Flair and Anderson, which we will be talking about shortly.
1: Absolutely yeah I, everybody's you know. too
2: sensitive right now i <sighs> all right yeah. let's go on
1: i ain't never seen such a sorry looking heap of maggot shit in all my life anyway <laughs> moving on to the next piece of news uh yeah this one came out of left field you want to talk about things just taking a, a left turn and then a right turn and a turn nobody cared about but uh what on a, a, a week after uh debuting at double or nothing leo rice leo rush decides he's going to retire which, you know, hey, good you know, good it. for you. Make your decision, man. You know, that's it's your life. If you think it's what's best for you and your family, go for it. It's Just weird, man. Because he wasn't, he had a it handshake. Is. He had a handshake agreement with Tony Khan. There was no contract. He was signed to NJ uh, or New Japan. Like, he didn't have a contract right, he's been with AEW. So, you know, the, the best part was that Tony Khan came out with a statement. It's like, what do you need to make a statement for? Leo Rush made the statement he's not signed to your roster. You can just sit back and say, okay, I guess he's not wrestling for us now. But Whatever. It was just weird that one week
2: after or whatever that that he calls it the quits, and I'm like, well, is it a is he paving his own storyline? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, sure, quietly working the boys, if you will. Uh, I just don't know what. It's just weird. I'm like, yeah, you got a pretty good reception when he came back, and listened to us. We're like, no, it's well deserved, man. Come on, get back in the ring. You need it, and it's like, shit. That was the best spotlight you could have been on. Now you're off, but. Teach their own. But um, I, I can't wait for you to, t- to say this next bit of news because this man says what I feel.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, I, I actually saw this on Twitter. Uh, I was scrolling by I, and, I, and I had to uh, laugh my ass off. Uh, Carl Anderson advises release WWE talent. Enough of the thank you tweets. So on Anderson said on talking Shop, we know what it's like to get canned from WWE. Here's the advice I would say. Enough of the thank you tweets. Give me a fucking break. When you get canned, let it go. How about hashtag fuck off? I don't think less than 24 hours after being fired. Take a second to take a breather. Take it easy with the thank you bullshit within 24 hours. Breathe it in and take it in for just one second. Put together a plan of attack before you start thanking all these motherfuckers that fired you because... People give Jim Ross a lot of heat, but I have respect for Jim Ross because when we got canned, he said there's a reason why WWE, WWE decided not to do business with these individuals anymore.
2: I am 100% on his side. Oh, Look, yeah. I've been canned from a job. I didn't say thank you on the way out. <laughs> I didn't say fuck <laughs> you. But it was it was more like a, are you fucking kidding me? And when I went home to my family, I wasn't like, I was being like, you know what? The last 14 months, I was so grateful to have that job. <laughs> no, I was using the words that George Carlin says you're not allowed to use. I was pissed. And I agree, man. You get let go and everybody's like, oh, I want to thank you for my time because everybody thinks that's the big leagues you got to go back to, right? Well, guess what? It's not the be-all, end-all. Look at someone like... Cody Rose, the Young Bucks, they said, I'm going to stick to the indie circuit and I will make my own path. I will make my own money. Do You think Jay Lethal's not making decent money in Ring of Honor? Do you think that like even Michael Bennett and those guys aren't making decent money? It's not like they're making a hundred bucks a night. They're not in the indie circuit. There's places to go. And who cares if you burn a bridge? What, What did they think of you when you were there? What the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, Ruby, they didn't do anything with you other than giving your first name to a squad or your last name to a squad, the Riot Squad. That's all they ever did for you. So you know what? Say, fuck you, bitches. I'm about to make you mad and sad that you let me go. That's Absolutely. I'm with Carl Anderson on that.
1: Hells yes. Hells Yes. Uh, a little bit, and then of... it's
2: a stupid follow-up tweet by this one here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, this wasn't a tweet. This was on the, the uh, pre NXT takeover media call. Um, uh, Melterd asked Triple H about fan frustration with NXT, uh, especially about some people being misused when they got called up to the main roster. Which let's let's be honest, that seems like a val- valid sure. complaint, right? Uh, Basically, he said uh, Triple H said uh, the fans ruin their own stuff half the time by overanalyzing the product. So here's the quote. That's a little bit long-winded. You know, I like the long quotes here, but let's get it right here so we can (laughs) break it down. It's a funny thing to me sometimes that in our business, everybody is so worried about where people are going or go or land or how is this going to play out long-term in the future. How about watch it? Do you like it or do you not like it? Do you have to say, I like it, but I like this one thing more, or I like it, but I don't like it as much as I like that one? Just watch it or don't and stop trying to figure out where everything goes. We'll come back to that one. Uh, The fans ruin their own stuff half the time trying to figure out where everything goes and why it's going there and how, and then trying to pick up their phone and go search for the one thing to find out that can ruin it for them so they're not surprised when it happens. I don't understand that. I'm thrilled with what the brand is. I'm happy with where it is. Do I want it to get better? Yes. Do I want it to grow? Yes. Do I want it to expand? Yes. Um, I can kind of agree with that too. Yes, there's not a lot of surprises in the wrestling game anymore. Uh, Final quote. But again, people will take this line, use it out of context. It's a marathon, not a sprint buzzword. Uh, I'm not... I'm not here to make a brand that's around for a few years or a few minutes. I want it to be long-term and how it's going and how's it going to be long-term. It's going to morph and evolve. It shouldn't be the same. If it's just the same three years from now or four years from now as it is right now, we made a mistake. It's just like people you grow. If you're the same person four years from now, you did not grow.
2: Most corporate fucking answer I've ever heard in my life.
1: Pretty much. Basically, you missed, you know what the thing is too? He didn't answer the question. (laughs) The <laughs> question was about frustration with people getting misused when they go up to the main roster. All he had to say was, I don't have any say in that. You know who does.
2: And now I'm more frustrated after hearing that. Um look Okay. To say that the fans are you know, they ruin the own stuff they have at their at the time, it's okay, maybe. I'll give you fifty on that, fifty fifty, because Sometimes we are presented with something and we... And I say we, I'm just going to say everybody is a we. We don't jump on board right away. And then like three years later, we're like, shit, that was actually that, that was actually good at that time. Wow, it's getting worse now. And you're like, well, maybe we should... Is it just getting worse? And we <laughs> we liked how shitty it was. But they also do not help themselves with the fans. They are not... The whole, you are the authority couple years ago? Bullshit. Yeah, major bullshit. And to say that we're ruining it, you guys are ruining it for us, and then we're saying, fuck you, we're going to ruin it worse for you now. You want us to boo Roman? Now we're going to cheer that motherfucker. Good luck editing that out. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, we're, it's because they don't listen, man. And And I'm going to get into this a little bit later when we bring it to the table. I will promise that, so... Anything else we got on the on the docket before we talk about this uh, past weekend's takeover?
1: All right. Well, I got a couple quick ones here. One, uh, the Impact Championship was defended at Impact's pay-per-view. Uh, Omega defended the Impact Championship against Moose. Um, Sammy Callahan got involved afterwards as he has a match coming up against Omega. And uh, Don Callis fired Sammy Callahan and had heat with uh, Scott D'Amour. Uh, after, as the pay-per-view went off the air, they were arguing about Callis firing Sammy Callahan. Uh, Callahan showed up at AEW, so I mean, you know, they're definitely running that. We'll see; it'll be interesting how that works out if Callahan's just at AEW now, or for a few weeks, or we'll see where it goes.
2: I look, I was a fan of Sammy Callahan when he—I didn't know who he was until he came in as Solomon Crow in NXT. He's there only for a quick cup of coffee as they like to say. And he had a cool finishing move where he put his, his the back his back on the top rope and used it as a springboard to then just do a body splash to the guy laying right there in front of him. It was a really cool move. I loved it. Um and in his time while being in NXT, he actually had like a heroic thing. I believe he saved like a whole family from a fire while being there. And I was like, I just like this dude. He had, he had like a real like it was a real life thing. I'll miss Sammy when he went on to the Indies. Got a little bit of heat for that Eddie Edwards baseball bat incident. I mean, they had a huge feud and run together. So, obviously, I feel like Eddie forgave him enough. You know, like he understood it, I think. But he kind of got some weird heat. But I've been a very big Sammy Callahan fan because he's probably the most unique straight heel who wants someone to spit directly in his face. Next to MJF. He's the only one I've seen who has been as hard of a heel over the last five years. Does not want to be cheered. And if he gets, like, like, he beat the fuck out of Tessa Blanchard. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's awesome. No better way to get heat than beat the fuck out of her. I'm, I'm a huge Sammy fan. Seeing him in AEW, I think, could actually be a good a good thing. And honestly, for those fans who never really... I don't think that there's such a thing of people who watch Impact and don't watch AEW, but if there is such a thing, well, Sammy just got you over there because if if you watch Impact and you know Sammy's on AEW, you're going to go there and watch. Just, yeah. I think it's good for business right now, everything that they're doing. Um, the firing is stupid because it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, Don, come on. We know what the whole thing is. Like, It would have been better if someone else Fired him or not even a fire. I just hate the firing angle. I think yeah. it's way overdone.
1: It is. Yeah, so there's one more thing I didn't put in here. Uh, we oh, talked yeah? about it briefly. It's uh, And it's not really a big surprise, but uh, it's definitely starting to look like uh, – well, and it actually looks like that two of the recently – released WWE superstars are heading to AEW, possibly. Uh, Alistair Black is obviously the one that we care about, I would say. Uh, but Mark Henry started spouting off uh, saying that there's interest between Braun Strowman and AEW, and I don't know how much I believe in that. It seems odd that the newly signed legend is being the mouthpiece that. for that.
2: I think he's just stirring the pot, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is funny because last week we talked about his release a couple days later. It comes out that <laughs> Strowman's asking for five figures to be at events. So you're like, so, okay, that's a minimum ten grand. You know that. So I'm like, huh. And then he said that it's bullshit. He 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 claimed that the reports are bullshit. At whatever. Either way, I don't think he's worth five grand. I don't think he's worth a grand. What are you gonna do? Come in and go. Whoa! And chokeslam somebody at best. Like, choo, me.
0: choo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yo, it's just, yeah. And he can't say get these hands, so he's going to have to start saying get oh, these yeah. feet. Get these fists.
1: <laughs> get these nuts. All right. Oh, all right. Any other news? <laughs> no, that's it. That's Well, I mean, NXT TakeOver in your house. And it started the best
2: way possible, man. It started with the music, the themes that you heard from In Your House back in the day. The do 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 do, do like, That sounded more like ESPN. That's SportsCenter. Yeah. I can't really do that. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. Anyway, but it was the old school, like when you're seeing Brett vs. Diesel or Brett and... Uh, or Diesel in uh, Undertaker, like the music that was dramatic in the background. And they made it old school, and you have Todd Pettengill doing the first part of it, and then you hear Doc Hendricks saying that tonight it's going to be Karrion Cross in a star-studded main event against Pete Dunne, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Bebe, and Johnny Gargano. And then they even show you Michael P.S. Hayes doing this backstage. I know I just did the quotes to you and no one else sees it, but yeah, doing funny. it backstage, and... Then it just goes into the, the promo. Um, it wasn't a bad show altogether. My favorite parts was just Todd Pettengill apparently still being in the 90s. He has a VHS tape and a screen that's there that's like fuzzy. And this girl comes in and he goes oh, hey, and he goes, I'm about to show the the B-roll footage here. And he starts putting it in, and she goes, the production truck has. He goes, oh, I should bring it to the production truck? All right, great. And he goes and runs it off. I'm like, that's what I miss about WWF Mania. His stupid, corny, zaniness was actually good. I liked it. He came out and did a little bit of that throughout the whole show here. Um, running down the card, Bronson Reed and MSK retained all their titles in a winner take all match, which... I was kind of thinking since they made it a winner take all match, I, go, I have a weird feeling Legato del Fantasma is going to win this. But no, the, the, the face is actually retained and pretty good match. Everything you expected out of it, um, especially Bronson Reed putting someone through the barricade.
0: Sugar!
2: Zia Lee defeated Mercedes Martinez, which was kind of retribution. No pun intended. No pun. Uh, for the May Young Classic. Back a couple of years ago, because Martinez I just defeated Zia Lee like no problem, and that was that's been her biggest thing apparently is coming back and defeating her. L.A. Knight, the former um, oh god, I just lost his name now. Not Ethan Page. Oh, who was the guy that was in uh, Impact? I'm losing it. Uh, either way, L.A. Knight defeated Cameron Grimes in the latter match for the Million Dollar Championship. Woo. <laughs> it wasn't even a good ladder match. Yeah. Wasn't happy with it. Yeah. I think all ladder matches have been just kind of played out now. Way too played just, out. Yeah. God, what was his name? Look it up. All right. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez retained over Ember Moon. Favorite part of the match was Ember Moon went to do the Eclipse, and she actually blocks it and goes for the finisher. Yes. I, as soon as I saw her go up for the The clips, I go, oh, man, Moon's going to retain the title. Oh, my God. Or uh, (laughs) regain the title. Right. Eli Drake. That's who it was, my man. That's why you have internet and I don't. Mm -hmm. But in our main event match. Now, this was cool. All right. So you have your five-way. Cross wanted everybody. You have Adam Cole, (laughs) Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and Kyle uh, Kyle O'Reilly. I loved that the background, it said NXT Champion, carrying cross in the dead center of the ring and i go it just keeps saying that i go that's kind of weird but then as they backed up each name was set up in a way so it almost looked like a championship so the big name is cross in the middle and then the other names were the guys down the side i thought it was really cool kind of like the side plates yeah thought it was really cool johnny gargano comes out dressed i mean hbk okay yeah HPK. And what's crazy is that in the very beginning of In Your House, they go, it's in your house tonight, and they start showing back old-school footage of In Your House stuff from back in the WWF 95, 96 days, and the part where Shawn swings in on a rope and drops down before his match against Owen Hart uh, before the WrestleMania 12 one in 96. And he's wearing the all red. And Gargano comes out in just that. I feel like they put that exact clip in there to be like, "We want you to remember this exact one to see. You know what I mean? They could have put anything in there for him, but that one. Besides that, Adam Cole came out in some uh, Metal Gear Solid kind of colors, which looked pretty cool. Pete Dunne in all white. Yeah, was crazy. Here it is. He's winning it. <laughs> if you're in all white to me, I don't know why. All right, you know why I say that? Why is that? I go back to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. All white won the championship, right? Um, Seth Rollins in all white had the WWE title and won the U.S. title. You know, it, it, like To me, I'm like, sometimes I feel like it sounds stupid, but it's like your triumphant moment. You're in all white. I don't know why. And I was like, uh, I think Pete Dunne may have this. And they teased a lot of Pete Dunne and Karrion Kross backstage arguing and pushing each other that was one of the ones that Regal had to break up right when they got face to face in the ring they've been they teased a lot actually let me say this this match teased many cool feuds that could happen you had Dunn and cross and right there awesome Sold. but then there was a moment where it was just Dunn and Kyle O'Reilly and they were trading submission stuff it was and I'm like now let's just say Dunn wins a title. Kyle versus Dunn, I'm in for, right? These, and, and, all right, Karrion Cross said, and he won, right? we'll already say that he won the match, by choking out Kyle O'Reilly. He didn't submit, he just choked out. Karrion Cross said he beat the Mount Rushmore of NXT. All right, maybe today's Mount Rushmore. Gargano and Cole, I will let you have. Pete Dunn is a... Very distant third, and I'm a huge Pete Dunn fan, but Kyle sure. O'Reilly is not in your Mount Rushmore. You gotta look at Baylor, you gotta look at Joe, you gotta look at all those guys prior to him. It was a decent match, but I knew in no way when you heard the beginning of our show last week, Adam Cole saying, I would love to tell you why Mr. Overrated him calling Carrying Cross overrated. I said if Cross loses this match then he is overrated. Exactly. Right? You're yep. going to submit that. You're or you're going to like basically be that's the the actual answer. I go, nah, Cross is winning this match and they gave you every reason to know that it was going to happen. First he goes through a door and gets like on the sideline, then he was supposed to go through a table and it was a very unforgiving table. Um there was lots of moments where the match was just Dunn, O'Reilly, Cole, and Gargano. God damn, it was such a good match to see just those four. Every time Cross got back involved, it slowed it down. Sure. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm with Adam Cole, baby. <laughs> I think he is overrated. I think Killer Cross was good in Impact. Carrying Cross is decent in NXT. Can I ask you a question? When the fuck did a bat become a part of the logo as NXT?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's probably... Uh, I got to drink a beer to think about this. Uh, you know, honestly, I think it was probably just Triple H and Shawn Michaels saying, We got to spruce up this logo, man. How about a bat, bro? Yeah, bat, man. That sounds awesome. That's literally... I thought, I was like, was. all
2: right, maybe this week on... On NXT, when I first saw it, I was like, all right, maybe they're just promoting something. I'm like, it's not Halloween. doesn't have like a skull
1: in it too? Yeah, it does. It was just
2: really weird that I, and then I'm like, oh, this is their permanent logo. I'm like, we got to really dive into that one. So yeah, that's really all I got about uh, the the logo. I just found it odd. But you know what? If we're going to keep talking take over before I... Continue. I might as well throw the bumper in there because that's where I'm going to go with because I got something to bring to the table.
0: Just bring it, bitch! Oh my gosh! God.
2: After the NXT TakeOver event, I sat there and I just thought each match was very entertaining. The crowd was into it. Competitive. But you know what we didn't get a lot of? We didn't get 75 near-fall finishes. In the five-way, we got some near-fall finishes, but that's okay when it's multiple guys going for the pin. When it's just two men and it's just over and over, or two ladies, over and over and over, it gets to be very stale. This, they did not do a lot of with this show, and I was very impressed with. But where I'm going with this week for Bring It to the Table... The best roster going today, and honestly, I think has been going consistently for the last five, six years, really is NXT. Now, don't get me wrong. New Japan, you got your Okadas, Naitos, Tanahashis, Jay Whites. Even when you had your Bullet Club and all those guys there, like Omega and everybody. It was a solid, good roster. But I know for a fact, when I turn on NXT TV... Even just TV, I'm going to be entertained to get storyline progression, a match that makes sense, for the most part. I'm saying, all right, let's just uh, take New Japan out. Let's just say versus AEW. Fuck that. Let's say versus Raw. I'm going to put NXT versus Raw. It's more compelling, competitive matches, but they're building people. Slowly but surely you have your squash matches, you have your competitive matches, you have your backstage interviews. We again it kind of goes to the Triple H thing, right? Well, you have no control over the main roster, but you can't say that. You can't say Daddy Warbucks is in charge. You gotta wait for him to pass away and be like, all right, now I can say some shit. (laughs) But really, think about this. I mean this. Go to any NXT TakeOver, and I will only take out one. I will take out one NXT TakeOver, and that's last year's in your house. Only because it was, I think, their very first one in in dead silence, and right. it was something new to get used to. And they built off of it. Last night, they were like, this is the the most, uh, or last night, a couple nights ago for the... the takeover this is the most people we've had in the capital wrestling center a they never said the number because you know it was less than like 400 it was 300. 300
1: it was 300 all right
2: there you go but to me the main event that's home that's home for them all those guys who've been in pwg ring of honor and all that stuff that's their crowds they're used to that they were at home the other night so that's cool having that small of a crowd but it still worked But my point is, name one takeover that you can't watch from the very beginning to the end and say that you weren't entertained. Yeah, not every match is going to be five-star classics, but the entire show, from the very beginning to the very end, you're going to go, it was still better than any pay-per-view that WWE produced that month or the month after, right next to it. Every time. And... it it makes me want to switch things up for season four and almost do only NXT again, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, when you really think about it, their roster is so strong, you can't get a bad match out of most of these guys. But I'm not gonna lay it just on the wrestlers. I'm laying it on the producers. Shawn is there, Regal is there, Triple H is there. You get a lot of guys in the background who know how to put on stellar matches, entertain the crowd, work the crowd when you slow them down when you speed them up i think nxt is the, it's kind of the new bar in wrestling it, it to be honest with you i'd put new nxt right next to new japan
1: yeah it's funny because personally yeah it's funny because you know when we first started recording the show that was our mission statement almost you know it was that you know we're excited for aew but NXT has just proven themselves time and time again. It's the resources of WWE with the indie talent and without Vince's overreach. So it was really a yeah. perfect scenario. Now, I know that since basically the course of the pandemic, especially lately, at least me have been kind of shitting on it a little bit more than usual. It's been harder to care. There was also a lot of call-ups. Uh, so you've got fresh rosters. And then some of the storylines are just a little weird um but it's still hard to deny you have an infrastructure where it's basically a farm system so they're always learning and then you've got some established indie talent that has cred so yeah i mean you know AEW, yeah they have money and they have established cred with some of their workers but it's also a lot of naivety and uh inexperience as well
2: yeah 100 percent. but what's to me, man, with NXT, I'm like I don't know much about about uh, Fantasma del Lagado or, or, or that yeah, yeah, del legato the Fantasma. Um, but I want to. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like how they're being presented, I want to see them. AEW just throws people in the ring, and I don't know much about. Uh, most of these guys that are coming in, in the, the nightmare factory and this and that, like, unless you're in the inner circle or pinnacle or Omega, you're really not much on my radar as of late. Cause you don't have much going on for you. You're just another guy in the ring. Look, I mean, Joey Janela, you might as well just be another, like, he's not even there anymore. Like he's there, but Good. he's not there. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, you just can't, touch I, I, you know what it is it's it's the wwe production of your farm system that's really what it is and yeah. you said the farm system a second ago but it's adding that production to it makes it just i'm that much more interested but it's like but why don't you do that with your main roster well you know why
1: vkm yeah
2: well all right we don't have to say it every week <laughs>
1: So what, what are you bringing to the table this week? All right, so I was watching, uh, you know, I like to go back and watch some of the uh, older Dark Side of the Rings from Season 1, Season 2, and I uh, oh, yeah. watched the uh, Road Warriors one again because it's just, you know, great story, uh, you know, just one of the best tag teams ever. Yeah, I mean, Paul, all the ring, all that stuff, just a great story. Was that and, Season 2? Uh, I believe it was the last episode of Season 2 or maybe the second last episode of Season 2, yeah. Okay, yep. yep. Yeah, it's on Hulu if you're interested. That's how I found it. So, and just Scott Norton kind of going over the Minneapolis wrestling scene and, you know, the AWA was there and, I mean, you know, Hogan was there, Heenan was there, you know, they weren't from there, but the AWA was one of the huge territories, I mean, but, I mean, just listen to this list of names of people from the Minneapolis scene, Ole Anderson, Bob Backlund, Paul Ellering, Vern Gagne, Kurt Hennig, Nikita Koloff, Jerry Lynn, Scott Norton, Rick Rude, the Road Warriors, Smash from Demolition, AKA the Repo Man, and Jesse Ventura. And that's just the old school ones, and I'm sure there's a, there's a ton that I forgot.
2: I did not know Jerry Lynn was ever in AWA. That is so
1: cool. Yep. I mean, yeah. Uh, so it's just uh, it was just one of those things. that's like wow. That's a list of names. And basically, you know, Scott Norton talking about how Hawk was the toughest kid on the one side of the tracks and Scott Norton was the toughest kid on the other side of the tracks and just crazy shit to think about that pool of wrestlers. Uh, And, you know, Jerry Lynn's still involved to this day with AEW uh, helping out Darby Allin. You know, so you know, there's that you know, Kurt Hennig. You know, we talk fondly about him, Vernon Gagne and Ole Anderson. You wouldn't have the AWA without them. You know, so yep. you know, it's just insane. It was just, it's insane when you just think about that. And like I said, I mean, you've got Brock Lesnar. You know, who eventually comes out of that scene. Uh, there, there's more oh, yeah. wrestlers that come out. So just insane. It was just one of those things. It's like wow, that's a, that's an impressive list of names right there.
2: Just the just that whole area that entire yeah it's it's a very big wrestling community and it's funny there's a lot of a lot of communities like that you have uh where's orton from
1: oh that's a good question
2: is it north carolina uh no carolina had a lot with the hardys you got uh Shane Helms, a lot of those guys came from there. It's funny how a lot of people just come from, like, one area or another, and it's – but then you never hear something random, you know, like, a, hey, North Dakota. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know, right? Uh Knoxville. There it is, yes.
2: Oh, man, but, dude, yeah, that makes me want to go back and start looking at some of the old – uh old territorial days because that's when, I mean, territories really made a difference, man, especially right there in Minnesota. You got Ole, Arn, Rude, Henning, all those guys right there. And that era alone right there, they look, I, everybody can say, oh, well, the Outsiders, the clique, blah, 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 they all changed the business. No. I think people like Kurt and Rick are those guys not changed the business? They expanded and made the business better. It went from very Matt style wrestling to now these guys are doing the storytelling but also the selling differently. Like as the years progressed, those were the benchmark. Those guys right there, and, and Bret Hart, I just read an interview the other day. He said, Does, No matter what, his favorite opponent of all time. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, we could not have a bad match. You couldn't because he was a technical masterclass. You ask me where the wrestling business really went downhill. Really think about this. It's Sean, Diesel, Razor, Hunter. getting in, Being the boys that are getting in the, the click and they all went in business for themselves I'm just saying I think overall the business was all right, may not have been booming in 95 and 94, right? But I think once territorial days ended in that click thing started, I think that's where wrestling really originally went downhill.
1: Yeah, it seems reasonable I think one of the things that, you know, you brought up with some of these guys like Rude and Headshrink is that they could fit in in the 50s. You could put yep. them in the 50s wrestling scene and they'd fit perfectly in. And they fit or in Or even the... 2021. <clears throat> right, yeah. And they fit on the campy WWE rosters in, you know, the early 90s, late 80s. So, I mean, you know, they could really do it all. And you got to think these are guys that were wrestling in New Japan as well. You know? Yeah. So I mean, they could go anywhere.
2: I hate Absolutely hate seeing the bump that Rick Rude took with oh, song every time I see it. It's awful. I'm like, oh, and that's the one. I'm like, it just sucks. But I uh no nah, man, it excellent, excellent topic that you brought to the table this week. I'm excited. Now I'm gonna have to start going even deeper in time. Here we're trying to relive ninety six. I'm about to go back to 76. <laughs> yeah, <You're> right. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> Speaking of 96. Marty! You've gotta come back with me! Where?
0: Back to the future! Wait a minute, Doc. Well, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future?
1: What, we become assholes or
0: something? Give me a hell yeah!
2: You want a war? You're gonna get. Me. Mick Foley is gonna win their world title. Has been paid for by the new world order. Come on, Vince. Step into the ring. My God, the
0: battle lines have been drawn. Generation X invades WCW tonight. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Have a nice day. Again, you work for ya.
2: Hmm. Let's see. Rehabilitated. I think that's just a made-up word that you people in your suits and ties can say make you feel all fancy, but let me tell you something. I had sex with your mama, and I'm going to kill the first moment I get out of here. All right, they take a left turn on that one. <laughs> Cleveland style.
1: Hey, it works.
2: I had sex with your mama. God damn. <laughs> the best part, can we talk about? Is that while they're doing that, while they're recreating that in Stand By Me, and I think there's one other one, mm. Joe loses the function of his legs in every one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he was Boggs.
1: Sometimes you don't got to try right. very hard, man. It just works itself out. Hey, I love it.
2: I, one of my favorite things, though, is a uh, one of the Comedy Central rows. Hey, Seth MacFarlane. South Park called. They want their everything back. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) But, all right, it is the Monday Night Wars. We are finally at the Great American Bash. Things are starting to officially pick up. It is Father's Day, June 16th, 1996. And then, of course, tomorrow we do have Raw Nitro on the 17th. But we are going to talk about the Bash. Joe, let's uh let's start talking about what happened here at this show because this may have been one of the more underrated pay per views, I feel like, of all time. And I'm like, did this make it to our list? I feel like it should have, and I'm an asshole
1: that I didn't a couple of weeks ago. Such a good show. Go ahead. Yeah, part of the fun of doing this is getting going back and get to getting to see some of this stuff. So Yeah, not only is it Father's Day, but I'm I'm thinking within a week of this time frame is me graduating high school, just to put things into perspective here. So,
2: yeah. Holy shit, I was entering sixth grade. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) No, seventh.
1: Ah, okay. Uh, Well,
2: hang on, I was graduating sixth, if that's such a thing. Yeah, it's not, so.
1: It's (laughs) kind of like buying Kurt Angle's medals for some reason and wearing them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> you just end up looking like you won him in a special contest. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it starts off with promos as usual. Uh, they start with the flare, Arn Anderson, Mongo, and Kevin Green, and then the Luger Giant. You know your two main events. uh, those little promos on there. Uh, we got Shivani and Dusty on commentary again. Hang uh, on.
2: Can we talk about that promo? Bobby Heenan. Savage. You think I'm scared? I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Don't you talk to think I'm scared. I'm not scared. Don't look at me. I'm not scared. God damn. Heenan is probably at like. These two nights in a row it probably, like, his all-time, like, just best antagonist. I goddamn, oh, man, I miss him as a manager.
1: He's the man. There's no doubt about it. And he shows it every week. Uh, they start off giving a little bit of a tribute to D- uh, Dick Murdoch, who just passed away. That's, like, fucking two big wrestlers that have passed away since we started doing this. Crazy. You know? So No, I, I actually, at the same thought,
2: I go, wow, I'm like... We're also not only reliving the wars, we're reliving each death as it happens in a weird way, too. And we're like, oh, wow, that's when this happened. Wow. It's just
1: interesting. Yeah. Uh, Opening show or opening show, opening match. uh, I am going to say I had a lot of expectations for it uh it was kind of flat match uh we had fire and ice versus wait this. are you
2: not going to talk about the national anthem
1: with sergeant craig Pittman holding the no no american flag I, I really wasn't gonna do that i almost put it in the notes and then i'm like yeah no i'm not I'm just gonna skip by this one well
2: it's a great american bash and they sure the american national anthem I uh, and, and a
1: soldier and a soldier that and a soldier you know you know and part of our armed force do you know who the soldier was Craig Pittman. Sergeant Craig Pittman. Yeah. A wrestler. Yeah. Okay. He really was in the services, though.
2: But that's my point. Yeah. So it was a good moment. Yeah. But you were looking to pass over it. Yeah. I just... what
1: the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, All right, go ahead. What do go. You want a list? I mean, <laughs> this podcast is going to go on you want it. We ain't got that
2: much time on this exactly. show. Exactly. <laughs>
1: So, anyway. We're going
2: to have to call it Joe's Problems or ODM's Problems.
1: <laughs> Nobody's listening to that one. And that's just what I do when I'm in the bathroom in the corner crying. So, anyway. Highest episode count ever. <laughs> yeah. It's just me listening to it and my therapist a couple times, too. But, I mean. That's what, what do you think he meant by this? <laughs> <laughs> my therapist right. is going to need a therapist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> Please just go on. Can, wait, this, oh, okay. This okay. book here's about, this one's about robbery and what, I,
1: huh, let's file that under educational. <laughs> yeah, we should yeah, right. The Count of Monte Crisco. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Cristo, you uh, dumbass. Dumas, you
2: dumbass. <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> All right. All right.
1: Opening match, please get us there. Opening match fire and ice versus the Steiner brothers. Uh, one of the things I noticed about this pay-per-view is that every match had a title to it. It wasn't just, this is a match. So this match was was a
2: stipulation or something. So this one, or they would say, this is a grudge match. Yeah, you're right. Like, yep. Yep. So
1: this one was, there must be a winner. they actually had a graphic for all of these. Um, Scott Steiner almost dro- Well
2: because the Nitro matches with these guys Kept going to like double count out Double DQ right. or time limit Shit like that so it makes sense
1: right? So uh, Scott Steiner almost Drops Norton on his head with an exploder suplex That was terrifying uh, mm-hmm. The one Cool spot that I thought uh, Scott Norton had Rick uh, Or Scott in an arm bar And Rick comes in to make the save Kicks Norton in the head and Norton doesn't let go it kicks him in the head again five six times before he finally releases the hole i thought that was a cool spot just norton's this big tough guy and like you got to kick him in the head a few times to get him to let go i like a
2: good no cell when it's done the right way absolutely that is the right way and actually there's a
1: couple other we're going to talk about some no cells in this pay-per-view but that's one of them yeah i think i have some of them written down uh but it, it the match ended with a botched frankensteiner it just looked oh. awful it was awful
2: What's crazy is that they did a top row bulldog yeah. one second before that, and I go, end it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And then they went for that Frankensteiner, and it was horrible. And I And I wrote, should have stopped at that bulldog. <laughs> like, that was horrible.
1: Absolutely. It, it was
2: not a good ending. But at the same point, Steiners move on, and now this is kind of cementing them to be more of the – number one contenders
1: is kind of what they're they're talking about between these two teams. Yep, and the last shot that they had ended up in a DQ because they had a shot at Luger and Sting, and it ended in a DQ. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Um, after that, Mean Gene, and, you know, like we talk about all the time, Mean Gene, almost every other segment is Mean Gene with somebody. So
2: as soon as we're done talking about a match, you just know it's going to say Mean Gene. Yep. That's the next thing we're going to say every time is Mean Gene. I was writing Mean Gene most Same of these times. Same here. Now I just write... Gene. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: you start writing it right before they even cut to the segment because you know it's coming. Uh, so he was with Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan. It was just a promo for the Benoit match. So after that, we had Elgato versus Conan for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Conan is the AAA champion as well. He has both titles with him. Pretty cool.
2: I'm with you. I gotta throw one thing. I have a note here. Sullivan is saying, you know, ben was trying to prove he's horseman material and he's not just like i proved that that pillman wasn't this dude was clearly like he was the camera was like up to his left yes high and he was looking down low i'm like could you, you could like, s- let us know any more that you are reading cue cards
1: right now you could this- see it with flare later in the night too Yeah, it was horrible,
2: man. I'm like, does nobody remember lines back then? Yeah,
1: (laughs) it might have just been the monitor so they could see what they were doing and they had a frame of reference because sure did call that out once, but anyway, yeah, it was weird. I think since it's Kevin Sullivan, it's a lot easier to critique. But well, some birds just can't be caged. How can you be so obtuse?
2: (laughs) Well, now you're just being (laughs) (laughs) acute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Yo, I gotta say, the use of the Friends theme for hitting the rock <laughs> on the tunnel is one of the funniest crossovers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. U.S. title, no, Conan, please, All right. versus a cat.
1: All right. So, yes, versus the cat. Yeah. Conan is, is the AAA champion uh, as well. Has both titles. Pretty cool. Uh, he did a sunset powerbomb to Elgato from... In the ring to the outside. Meow. Oh Jesus Christ! You know what? <laughs> it was a flat finish. Chicken nuggets, motherfucker! It, All right, it, go it ahead. was a flat finish. Conan left. Who I thought was odd. He left without taking his titles with him. That always bothers me. I wrote that too.
2: I swear to God, I said. So I, I wrote pretty good match. Forgot how quick Conan was. Left without the title. But they show the pre uh, the post match replays. And then they're like, all right, now let's go back to, well, no shocker gene. And I'm like, were they like, yo, just get out of the ring and look like you're leaving. And it's like, fuck your title. Don't worry. It's yours still. Don't worry about it. (laughs) It was weird that he didn't take the title. I've, it was seldom that that happened, but back in the nineties, when it did happen, it bothered me to shit. So yeah. Um, I'm curious on your take on this next promo with Sting.
1: It's it's funny that you say that because I was going to say that I'm curious about your thoughts on this one. Uh, Well,
2: guess what? The Dingo Warriors thought alike. Um,
1: (laughs) You nailed it. And why I say that.
2: Warrior was a little known for um, being a homophobe. Homophobe. Yeah. All that. And in this promo... Sting said that William Regal, or Stephen Regal at this time, is a little prissy. And Mean Gene does a limp wrist, being like, ho, prissy. And I go, holy shit. All right, that's where we're going. And then Sting goes, well, you are a little iffy, but I'm going to have to straighten you out. And I just wrote homophobic rant. Cool. Jesus Christ. Like I didn't think that was a Stinger promo, man. Like to be honest with you, it almost disappoints me that that was a Stinger promo. But I mean, like I get you want to get heat, you want to get people to I don't want to say boo the game man or whatever, but it, cuz it's wrestling or whatever, but it's just really even for 96, I feel like that was a push
1: and I was shocked that Sting said that. So, yeah,
2: what's your thoughts on it?
1: I wrote, Sting making fun of Brits, insinuating Regal is gay? Yeah.
2: Basically saying that all British people are gay, too. He goes, I bet you drink your tea with your finger up. Yeah, every <laughs> fucking British person does that, dude. Yeah, right? So you're saying everyone, yeah, it was a weird it was segment, weird. man. It And you know what? He, if he got away with just saying the word prissy and never mentioned anything again, I might have been all right. But the moment that Gene flicked his wrist to a complete bend downward, I was like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, let's just say Regal sucks a dick. Just say it out loud. That's yeah, what right. I feel like you're trying to say. It was weird, man. It was not, it was, like I said, even for 96, I go, Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a little awkward to say the least. Uh, I'm trying to give you some matches here to talk about because I know there's definitely one that's going to be all you. Yeah, that one's coming up. So maybe I'll just take it for a while and I'll hand the big one over to you because we'll get there. It's all yours. All right. So next after that, we had our Lord of the Ring match. Naturally, uh, DDP versus Marcus Bagwell. DDP calls uh, the crowd uh, all you Baltimore bimbos. Uh, it refers to Carl Ripkin, which I thought was hilarious. Um, that
2: was I, that's all I have written here. I swear to God, I only have the winner of the match in that exact line because that made me laugh. He goes, "Because you guys are mad about Carl Ripken. and they go, "He means Cal." <laughs> and I go, "That was awesome." <laughs> oh, that was I know so Tony. I know funny.
1: <laughs> uh, the only other thing that I that I wrote uh, was uh, two other things. Uh, they're still pushing the DDP being homeless angle, uh, which is hilarious. And then uh, the one thing that I did appreciate is they're keeping the diamond cutter strong. Dusty actually puts it over on commentary. uh, So they're really putting that over as a strong finisher.
2: And he, (laughs) look at, I get it that Michael Cole coined the phrase out of nowhere, but DDP was the original out of nowhere when it came to that diamond cutter because he was doing it when you would bounce off of him, bounce off the rope, jump off the rope, standing still, he'd reverse a move. He was doing it all different times. That's what he did on this one, yeah. Exactly. Like each like this one was off of that rope where uh, Marks Bagwell went to hit his final move, couldn't do it, and he just bounced him off the rope, hit him. It was how he did it. It was strategic, I feel like, for each match. How he wanted to end it with that diamond cutter no, nah, and and he does that one long arm, one short arm, the whoo thing that we talked about. <laughs> but yeah, the the homeless angle is really weird. I don't get it because I'm like he's wearing all pink blue. He's got a cigar. I don't know many, I'll cig- I, I have. i I'll be honest with you, I've seen him smoke cigarettes, weed, and crack. I have never in my life seen a homeless man throwing back a giant, like, stogie, being like, life was fucking great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. I guess uh, somebody out there, or maybe that's the whole and thing. And then they
2: go, and I'm going to give myself a self-high five.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's right, yeah. All right, so yeah, naturally. so. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Oh, James. Yeah, I was going to say, you know it. Who is it?
1: Mean Gene. Mean Gene. Yeah, so he's with Jimmy Hart this and the time Giants with this the time. Giant. Wow, we're just going to keep doing this. You think that's pretty funny, huh? You're going to think it's going to sound a lot funnier with who, me. God damn it. Never mind. <laughs> you
2: tried working the movie quote in, and I it did. didn't work. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. You're going to look funnier
1: it. sucking my dick with no teeth. <laughs> there. Shoehorned it in.
2: Mean Jeans with Jimmy Hart and the Giant.
1: (laughs) And basically they insinuate that Lex Luger is in cahoots with Jimmy Hart. And it kind of went nowhere after that.
2: It was a weird thing because they brought up the Pillman, Anderson, Sullivan situation. And Hart was like, don't you worry about it. Only Jimmy Hart has to worry about it. And I'm like... It kind of contains to your your world champion here, the Giant, and the rest <laughs> of your dungeon. So, it's, it was a weird promo. It was like thrown yeah. together, I feel like, that they were just like, well, in between this match, Gene, who can you interview? <laughs> Probably. Match of the night. Yeah, you're here to that. Let me say this. I personally remembered my WCW days I've already said began pretty much right around this time because I heard about the crossover of Razor and Diesel or whatever you want to call it so when I started to click into Nitro a little more the first several matches that I was really intrigued by was Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio That was my very first taste of real cruiserweight title matches. This one right here, as soon as I saw the match kick off, I go, yeah, this is what got me into it. Holy shit. These guys, in less than 15 minutes, stole the card. And it was unbelievable. Dean Malenko retains. Um... They brought Mike Tenay in on commentary because he's more familiar with the cruiserweight division. And Mexico, is funny. In Japan, yeah. That that yep, that's right. They- um, he did an amazing springboard somersault to the outside. Just it was insane seeing Ray Junior at like basically the age Dominic is right now. Pretty much eighteen, yeah. Right, I was like, holy shit. Just, he was so good in this match And Malenko used the ropes Cheating to win
1: Just want to throw that in there Yep, Uh, Ray's debut Man of a thousand (laughs) It was, it was Ray's debut And uh, Tanae did bring up that uh, Eddie Guerrero had just won the Super Juniors In New Japan by defeating Jushin Thunder Liger So that's pretty cool
2: Yep, that was a nice little (laughs) side note To that too Oh, man. So the bash, it continues. Now, we had a match. Let's see. Let's flip a coin. What what can we do? We can go to a match or we can go to a Gene promo. Gene promo. There we go. Who do we have here?
1: Uh, This time it's Luger, and I didn't even write any notes.
2: (laughs) So I I have a couple things here. He says that he just wants to stay focused, and he's uh, just paying attention to the Giant. But when he went to say – world championship wrestling he could not get it out and he tried twice and then just moved on to the next sentence um it, it seemed like he almost lost where he was going in his promo not one of the better interviews of the night it made me feel like ah huh. and this is why you don't talk um is this the match that you said i get to talk about
1: no it's a, uh, it's coming up though
2: all right, you go ahead then.
1: All right, so... Uh, let yeah. me know when it's my turn. I'll let you... <laughs> it's your turn. I'm uh, going to eat a chicken nugget. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, B- Big Bubba with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta. This is the grudge match that you spoke of. Uh, Tenta still only has half of his hair, as a reminder. Uh, jump start on the outside. Bubba uses a loaded fist. Um, Big Bubba still looks like he just walked out of the Blue Oyster Bar and yes, uh, Police Academy. He does. Uh, <laughs> uh, hands it off. Uh, hands the uh, the object over to, to Hart. So the ref, when the ref pat, pats him down, not seeing anything, Tenta actually kicks out. Uh, Bubba tries to use the rope during a pin. Ref catches him at two. Uh, so. Tenta or Bubba goes up to the top rope, goes to do a flying splash. Tenta catches him, hits a power slam for the win. Hart thinks Bubba got the pinfall because he heard the count and the ring. So he figured, so he turns around and goes in to cut Tenta's hair. Hart, and Tenta grabs Hart, going to start cutting his hair, but Bubba comes in. Hart and Bubba have a bump and Tenta cuts off part of Bubba's beard. All right.
2: I didn't know that happened. I Me and neither. for some reason I knew I remember the Tenta haircut. I actually do. Remember the hair the half hair. I did not remember that he cut Bubba's beard and when I saw that I go, "Oh my god, he really did." He goes, "Oh my god, he cut it." <laughs> um I the only thing the only notes I had is that big Bubba comes out, you know, has some music. Tenta comes out. It was no music and it was just a video of his head
1: being shaved.
2: That's it. That's that's his interest. sure
1: Show. I mean, everything before that was the shark, so I don't think they had a lot of stock footage for him. Dun 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 dun. All right, all right. So we
2: had a match. Uh, Next idea. What can we do? Oh, genie. Go to Mean
1: Gene. Uh, my favorite. It's Mean Gene, Mongo, <laughs> Deborah, uh, Kevin Green, and Terry Green. Macho joins in. Uh, And at the end, when everybody's leaving, Gene, quite possibly with one of the best lines of the night, woman and Liz have been known to have a trick up their sleeves or somewhere else. (laughs) Yep. I swear to God, have that
2: exact (laughs) thing written down. And then he goes, he does a salute and goes, I'm sorry. After he says it, that was the best part is that after he was or somewhere else, he goes, sorry. He mouths the words, I'm sorry, and then sends it back to the guys. That made me laugh. No, you're not um, Gene.
1: Stop lying. All right. This one's all yours. What I have,
2: you want my notes? Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll go from there. But first my notes. So we got, yeah, mean and Jean, Deborah, all of them. It, it, and what I like is that Mongo and Deborah are wearing bears jackets and green and his wife, Terry are wearing Panthers jackets. Who's Terry? You are thought you'd appreciate that one that came to my mind i was like oh a little throwback for our show <laughs> um terry loves baseball anyway this is all right to the dickhead who thinks that all we're doing is just making fun of kevin green we have not until right now um I'm coming hard. Oh, I'm coming heavy. And I'm not giving up one inch. Oh, I'm coming hard. I go, oh, oh, oh shit. That could have been an opener for our awkward promos that we used one of those couple weeks ago. <laughs> Holy shit. I go, yeah. who wrote that for him? Couldn't he have said, I'm going to beat your ass? You're on pay-per-view. Give him a little more than I'm coming hard. <laughs> but that was it. And then, yes, I have Gene saying the they have – trick up their sleeve or hmm, somewhere else. But then he <laughs> pauses, does a salute and then mouths. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know who you're saying. I'm sorry too, but yes, the match of the night that's most memorable, I would say out of all the matches that happened that night. Yes. I think the show stealer was Mysterio and Malenko, but it was Kevin Sullivan versus Chris Benoit in a falls count anywhere match two refs found that odd. I've never heard of that, but there's a good reason because as we all remember, if you, and if you don't, they don't even meet in the ring. Benoit meets Sullivan halfway down the aisle. These are some of the like hardest stiffish like shots you see at each other but no one is selling. No one wants to look like they're weak. I watched Benoit slap Sullivan, or like chop him like four times in a row, to the chest, and Sullivan looked like he was just waving his hand in front of him and never touched him. It was, and I was like, oh my god! It, and like to me, I'm like, what's going on? Is there an issue back at stage? Like uh, something going on between these two? Like. Are they fighting over a girl? I don't know. It yeah, sounds weird uh-huh. right now to me. Um, But, of course, this one ends up heading into the men's room. Now, I want to say, if we had started watching long in advance and did our homework properly, we would have been smart to do last week's mo- movie of Reservoir Dogs because the t- the amount of times the word commode was said in this segment alone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a commode anecdote. What is it? It's a story, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) They said that so many times. But also, the amount of times that they said the word plunder. Hit on them with plunder. Dusty had to have said it at least 100 times. After they fight in the men's room... A couple of funny things about the men's room fight is they both slam each other's heads in the door. First one is a shoulder shot for Benoit, but the second one is definitely a real head shot. Sullivan only takes the shoulder shot with the, the door. However, fans have figured out, oh my God, that looks like that's our section. And everyone starts running to the bathroom. They only had a couple of security guards at first. They were not ready for the amount of people that were ready to come in there. Cops had to start walking in there. And then a lady walks in there. Good for you. Good for you. She got front row. And, you know, for her, I bet you she's like, yo, yo, let me get in there. And everybody's like, yo, that's smart. Let's get the woman in the men's room. And they called out, there's a ladies in the men's room. Dusty was freaking out. And then they get out of there. They go back into, like, the, just the regular arena uh hallway there from section to section and dusty with probably one of my favorite dusty lines of all time hey go to the men or go to the ladies room let's see what it looks like in there okay they got candy machines on the wall dusty yeah <laughs> oh, God. so the match makes its way back down to the the actual ring for a false count anywhere. The match ends in the ring. I, I hate when that happens, but Anderson comes down to the ring. Arn Anderson. Now he's been heavily on Kevin Sullivan's side throughout this whole feud. He gets there, pulls Benoit off in a real vicious manner, like grabs him by the head and pulls him down hard. Says, wait. Okay, Go. And they both beat the shit out of Kevin Sullivan. The crowd pop for this was so awesome. They were like, oh shit, he's not here to stop it. They're, they are the horsemen. So now we're seeing some strong horseman shit go on right now. Um, and, and it's followed up by and a killer. I wrote it. A killer Arn Anderson promo with, yeah, me and Gene, with Flair, the girls, and Benoit. And he said Benoit is horseman material. And just the way Anderson spoke, god damn, I I think that he is an underrated promo guy.
1: He is, definitely.
2: Because when you listen to him talk, he doesn't have to have fancy words. He doesn't have to have huge threats. He's just solid. Doesn't it? His scream is a whisper scream or whatever, but just listening to him, I was like, I for the last several weeks with Nitro Bash, just hearing him, I'm like, he's really, really good on the microphone, and I don't think I ever gave him that credit. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I ever gave Flair the amount of credit that he had for a 1996. The more that we keep talking every week, yeah. we're like, holy shit, he was on this. He had a hell of a 96. Like, he was it's some of his best promos, right? He's on fire the whole time. Uh, but that was just a, a fucking banger of a match. And then to see that Anderson is solidifying Benoit is a horseman with the ladies and flair right there, things are looking up. It was pretty good. I, I, I loved the whole segment. It was a good cap off on a storyline they were they, they it's what we've been seeing for weeks and hearing about finally that was a brawl that needed to happen and as I watched it like I said I remember this I've seen the match a hundred times but now that we're going through knowing everything we know from last season's dark side of the ring all of that seeing this holy shit those hits each guy was taking it and being like, "Go fuck yourself." I'm going to hit you harder. No one was selling anything.
1: Holy yeah. shit. it was insane at the at the very beginning. You're absolutely right. They were just chopping back and forth and no selling. And you could see Sullivan buck up when he was about to take one, and immediately yeah, you'd just see went, him like tighten yeah, the chest. It, it, you're right, it, it was uncomfortable, man. Very uncomfortable. Uh, my favorite line of the night was from Dusty. It was after Benoit won, uh, before the promo. Dusty, you don't want to be caught in—you don't want to be caught in the men's room with this guy, baby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God, can that be the new opening to our show? <laughs> and now, ODM, you don't want to be caught in the men's room with this man. <laughs> I won't do that to you, but goddamn, that's really funny. I—I like I think I may have missed it. I don't think that I actually heard him say that.
1: I think it was right <laughs> after the pop, so, you know, the crowd was pretty juiced right then, so.
2: They were, It was especially, yeah, all of it, but that was, wow, well, good stuff.
1: What did you think of the next match? I fucking loved it. Uh, so this is what I wrote. I wrote, Lord Steven Regal versus Sting, some kind of special match. They all are. Um, Regal healing it up with the crowd. It gets better and better every week. Um there was a guy on the hard cam. A, a lot of the people in the front row were jaw jacking with Regal throughout the match. But there was one guy on the hard cam that I noticed that had a rubber chicken. Yep. I'm glad you saw it, too. Caught that. Yeah.
2: Yep. I caught. Yo, yo. <laughs> I look for shit like this. <laughs> That's what this show is about for us. I'm reliving the Nitro in Raw days. I'm going to watch wrestling, but I'm also going to see what did I miss in the crowd? Rubber chicken. Yeah,
1: makes sense. Uh, I think the storytelling in this match was excellent because the story was Regal is really good, and he can hang with Mm -hmm. Sting, but he's not resilient, and Sting is, and Sting's going to come back and take the win, which he does with a Scorpion Deathlock. I don't really have much more to say other than that.
2: I wrote 20-minute classic, and I mean classic as in it was just a wrestling contest. Mm -hmm. No hoopla, no... I previously cut your hair, this, that, none of that. It was just a straight match. And how it ended was great. Stinger goes for the the Stinger splash. Regal puts his knees up, hits him, and just as you think Regal's got the upper hand, Sting does an awesome back body drop, which I got to be honest, you don't see a whole lot of back body drops nowadays, I really feel like. No, yeah, there's a lot
1: of them now, yeah.
2: You know what else you don't see? Um I'm gonna get it wrong. the where where you lift someone up and either they're facing you and you either crotch them that way or you turn them the other way. Atomic and drop you hit him in the ass. Atomic drop thank you. Um rare move, not done anymore, and I missed that move yeah. for some weird reason. Done a ton but, in this
1: time period.
2: Yes, and I love it. But as soon as he hits them with the back body drop, bam, goes right into the scorpion. Deathlock at first he does like a standing i'm like oh he's gonna pussify this one because you know how sometimes you do the standing you know sit down right and he sits hard on on regal and it was a good classic wrestling match mm-hmm. it was in i i wrote in here you put sting in the mid card and he still steals the show
1: yeah he was it was a great match yeah, everybody played their part. Like I said, it gave Regal, you know, a lot of credibility if you didn't think he had any. But, I mean, you know, we, you know, we know how we both feel about Regal. So, uh, after that, we have a Bash at the Beach promo. That's scheduled for July the 7th, 1996. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything sensational that happened at that one. So, we'll move on to a, quite possibly, the match of the night, in my opinion. mm <laughs> All right, I want, to, I want to hear your opinion. I will say
2: this to me. I have multiple opinions on it. I want to hear yours first, but I will say once we started to crack the egg, since we did know deep down about the fact that he is the eventual horseman, this is where I thought it was going to make
1: the turn. Yeah. But let me hear your opinion. Go ahead. This match exceeded expectations. <laughs> because I did not think for one second it was going to go better or you know, I thought it was going to go way worse than it did uh so we've got green and mongo with macho so it's and, a
2: celebrity match of course you, yeah you, you had to go shitty
1: it, it went a lot better than I thought it would uh so it's right. Ma- mongo and green with macho uh and their wives versus Flair arn anderson with heenan woman and liz this was a tag team grudge match um So, yeah, uh, they mentioned Macho's been reinstated. He'll be able to wrestle uh, wrestle on Nitro the next night. Um, Right as the bell rang on the hard cam, a giant cloth sign that somebody unfurled that said, Mongo sucks. Yep. Interesting. I didn't realize they had a lot of hate for him back then. So, okay. Well, Uh,
2: because it's like, here's the deal. Even back then, you still had your hardcore smarks or whatever you want to call them. And even they were like, wait, I'm about to watch a fucking commentator on the great American bash wrestle great American bash where I got flair and dusty and all those guys back in the day. I got to watch Mongo get the fuck out of here. So I could understand that sign a little bit. It also could be a football thing. Oh, but that could be too.
1: Yeah. It was just, it was like, wow. Okay. Uh, They did the whole three-point stance thing. Um, Uh, Can I say
2: that that was my favorite part? Yeah. With Flair and Kevin Green doing the three-point stance, Flair's like, come on, go ahead, go down, go ahead, do it. Let's do it. Let's do do the three-point stance. Kevin Green being the dumb football player. (laughs) Okay. Goes down, Flair kicks him right in the head. (laughs) And I go, oh, that was awesome. I laughed at it. I go, that was brilliant. Such a good heel move.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they do uh, a little bit of foreshadowing from uh, commentary. uh, Talking about Mongo leaving the Bears to sign with the Packers. And when they asked Mongo why, he said it was for the money. Um, Macho's getting involved in the match. He uh, hits Arne Anderson on the outside. uh, Gets a couple licks in here and there. There was a lot of stalling at the beginning. It was obviously to get around Mongo and Green and their you know inexperience in the ring. Uh, no Fla- pun intended. Their greenness. Yes. Well, Green showed his greenness when he hit some stiff ass shoulder tackles. This dude just launched himself like a missile. I wonder how much of a tongue lashing he got from Arn Anderson and Flair in the back after this one, because man, he put all his juice behind those ones.
2: Yeah, it's not like you were going up against the American
1: Mantles in this time. <laughs> you were going against Flair and Anderson. You gotta,
2: you gotta do the right hits, bro.
1: Yeah. So uh, they do uh, the tan. You know, uh, Green and Mongo do the tandem figure fours on Arn and and Flair. Woman gouges Mongo in the eye. Liz and Woman chase uh, the wives back to the to the back. Um, fucking Benoit comes charging out to take out Macho Man, which I thought was fucking awesome. Uh, and then, the coup de gras. Liz and woman return ringside, but with Deborah. And Deborah has taken off the bear's jacket, and she is also in a nightgown at this time, carrying a briefcase. Okay. hey, in a nightgown, and an evening gown. She wasn't in a nightgown like a little moo Wow, Well, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so basically, She's got she's got briefcase in tow. And she goes up to Mongo. Hey, macho, baby I got your money. <laughs> Mongo. you said macho. No, yes. macho, because the money in the briefcase is macho's money oh, that Liz you're got. right. So Mongo opens up the briefcase. It's a shit ton of money and a four horseman shirt. He doesn't even hesitate. He closes that thing up, and he cracks green across the head, and Flair gets the win. As soon as I saw
2: her walking down <laughs> oh, yeah, with it was the over. briefcase, yeah. I go, this was it. Yeah. I was right. It had to be <laughs> happening here at this match. I'm like, he's got to be turned on green because at what point? I'm like, let's just say he beats Flair and Anderson. They're like, okay, you're good enough to come into the horseman. Nah, I don't buy it. I'm like, how did this happen? This was it. Never knew it. I never knew it happened in this pay-per-view. When I'm telling you, I really feel like this was a really bad-ass pay-per-view. It was. And underrated. It was. Holy shit.
1: And we're not now, done. Here
2: is the truth. We got one more match to go on this show. On this pay-per-view, I personally think they should have swapped it. But they were keeping the world title strong. But this tag match was way more heavily promoted than Giant versus Lex Luger. Mm -hmm. I really think it would have been better off making this tag team match the end of it to see that Mongo is the fourth horseman. Holy shit. That would have been... I I love it. But before we even get there, those two guys that keep invading our show, as they like to keep saying, no one's actually giving them names. We don't have a name or anything at all. Those two guys that have invaded our show show up. Um, So, you know, as we all know them for right now, Diesel and Razor and Bischoff asks... Are you guys with the WWF? Both say no. Of course, we have. Uh, w- w- what did you say? Puerto Rican denim dam? Yes, is what's going on with with uh, Razor. Let's see, and Kevin Nash is wearing his best trucker's stripe shirt. The I don't logo know, on the it fuck.
1: looked like it was a name tag. Every time I looked at it, I thought he was like you know server at Perkins. It was just a weird. Yo, know, he had weird <laughs> things he
2: was wearing back in the day. All those polos and stuff, and like a hat. I was like, it's not working, man. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I love the, the big size mang, and the medium size mang. Love it. Got the Tony Montana mang <laughs> yep. going, but also you got the big size and medium size. And Bischoff says, well, I'm not gonna tell you until tomorrow night who you're gonna face, and. I love it. Razor, we'll call him for now, right? Goes You ain't gonna jack us around. <laughs> Punches him in the stomach. It was a good in looking punch. Power bomb, I power bomb right through the table. And it wasn't one of those power bombs that like you're up, you hold up and you go, hey, I'm good. One, two, three. Because that's kind of what you see with a general power bomb nowadays. Cool. Like, you have a good second where they're thinking about
1: Nash's it. Nash was not known for his power bombs. <laughs> Basically, he, yeah, would ho- well, he would hoist you up and then just drop you.
2: You're on your own on the drop. <laughs> and Bischoff dropped to a table that dropped down below where that stage was. Good sell, good moment, it was, all of it. Yeah. And then the the bad guys or know what it had or the whatever it is, have left the building, whatever or the big man and the medium sized man or whatever left the building kind of doing the old Elvis has left the building. Uh, quote to take out Bischoff. Everybody still at this point. Just thought he was an announcer, which is kind of funny. Um, but either way, a lot of heat. And now we're going to find out tomorrow night on nitro who they're facing. But, as I said, we got G- Giant and Sting. Or, do I, I, I'm i sorry, Giant and Lex Luger.
1: Well, if, if, I just got to add one thing to the previous segment. Oh, please. Uh, Dusty, with uh, one of my other favorite lines of the night, uh, is telling us that the situation has escalated. Escalated. <laughs> the situation has which, escalated.
2: Which, let's also talk about, Dusty was a solo commentator because... Tony looks at, at Dusty and goes, I, I got to go. I got to help. And Dusty kind of cuts a almost wrestler kind of promo yeah. on, on these guys being like, you guys want a war? Baby, you got it. And He's I got to say up. this. I, I never understood until just recently seeing him. Two, re, two revelations off this. One, do you see where Dusty is being used? Pay-per-views. He's not on Nitro. He's on pay-per-views. That's how you use Jim Ross. That's what AEW should be doing, to be honest with you. Save his verbiage because he gets a little, you know, even repetitive if you want. But it was a revelation of that. When I seen Cody put his hair to blonde, I'm like, all right, get it. Your dad was blonde. But I'm like, yeah, the big curly hair. In this era, it's that short, bleached blonde hair. And I go, oh, my God. This is what Cody looks like. I'm like, that's actually it. Shaved sides, just a little on the top. That's it. I go, oh, my God, that's kind of what he's been mimicking. I go, all right, because I've always, to me, I'm like, Dusty always had the big blonde hair. So right. I don't understand the shorter, but I think I totally forgot that's what he looked like in WCW as a commentator, too. I mean, because I feel like when he got to WWE, he kind of let the the brown kind of come out, you know, like in his later years. But I, it was just either way. I saw that and I go, oh, now I see why Cody looks like this. But it was cool to see him be the only commentator at the end. He goes, all right, Michael Penza, go ahead. And then it's dead yeah. silent as Luger comes out. And he goes, I mean, Michael Buffa. Michael Buffa, go ahead, <laughs> baby. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. Crappy match. Yeah. It, was, it
2: shouldn't have closed. It
1: should not have closed. No. That no, match and the thing would is, have been better placed before that tag. Forget it. Forget about the match itself. The, just the ending was flat. It's like oh yeah giant one. Yeah. Good night. Exactly. The only thing that I saw it was It was bigger
2: with you should have ended with either the Hall Nash segment or the tag. Yeah. Not that world title it fell so and I was like this I'm like, maybe this is why the pay-per-view sucks. I'm like, because you don't think it ended so bad. Like, yeah, the most only thing- of your pay-per-views that are really good at least have a good main event.
1: Sure, <laughs> yeah. And and this one technically did. Again, with the promo and the tag match, yeah, it definitely could have ended on a great note. Yeah, the only things that I that were really worth noting was uh, Luger got him in the rack momentarily. Pretty fucking impressive to yeah. see. And, and, and like, the ending was good. There was just no other substance with it where, you know, the weight was too much, Giant falls on him, choke slam, and it's over. The only other thing that I noticed is when they were signing off, the logo came up in the corner, and they were kind of at, doing a far shot of the ring. Giant picked something up off the floor and threw it back in the crowd. So somebody must have thrown something at him, and he picked it up and oh, threw no it back shit. in the crowd, yeah. It's pretty fucking funny.
2: One of the things I notice now and it's only because A Cornet called it out years and years ago, but also because of what we know now. It's funny when you see the credits, executive producer, Eric Bischoff, and all like his name comes up like three different times and I'm like, if I'd only read the signs back then I think I would have known that he's more than a commentator. Holy shit. Right. <laughs> But now normally we like to do Raw than Nitro, right? But I think when it comes off of a pay-per-view, right? We came off Beware a of Dog, you do that. But coming off pay-per-view, we got to come in hot with the storylines that are still continuing. So now Baltimore, Maryland was Great American Bash. Now we are in Richmond, Virginia for Nitro. And our commentators are Tony and Zabisco. And they're recapping the, the Nitro pay-per-view. And in, in our first match, well, first, they're they they're teasing a lot of, tonight we are going to show you official footage of what happened last night when these outsiders, they kind of start calling them that. Uh, and then eventually, that's apparently where the, the name gets phrased from, is them starting it with that. But our opening match is Rick Steiner versus Stevie Ray, and they're pointing out that Harlem Heat wants a tag title shot against Luger and Singh, but obviously so do uh, the Steiner brothers who just previously were uh, victorious the night before. Rick Steiner actually surprisingly beats Stevie Ray, and I say surprisingly, I don't think I realized that Rick would, would actually beat him. As soon as the match is over, Booker T shows up, gives him a... Uh, a kick right to the side of the head. Scott shows up. A little bit of a, a melee going on there. Up next, we have Disco Inferno taking on Joe Gomez, who we talked about last week. But little well, Jojo didn't make it to the ring because he was jumped by Flair and Anderson. But I, I gotta say, Disco Inferno dead on with their with his Tony Monero. Uh, gimmick.
1: God damn, I, I hate him so I work him really so much. hard
2: on my hair, and, and he hits my hair.
1: He hit my hair. You want to know what my note for this match was? <laughs> Disco's a clown.
2: Yeah, well, enough said. Tries Disco to get won heat. Nobody match. cares. Exactly. It's just it's just a total ripoff of Saturday Night Fever, man. Like it's it couldn't be any more being Tony Manero. So you got. Uh, mean Gene backstage shocker <laughs> with, <laughs> with Rick Flair, Liz, woman, and Deborah. And Debra's saying, obviously, Gene, it was for the money. And Flair saying, you know what, we got the four horsemen baby, and
1: we're reunited and it feels woo so good. <laughs> My favorite. Uh is that woman was once again feeling up Jean. And this time Jean takes action and swats her hand with the microphone. Fucking it hilarious. It says, will
2: you stop it? Because <laughs> she started grabbing his tie and choking on him. Oh, my God. She's obviously, you know, I'm sure, of course, they talk about it ahead of time. It's the plan. But the fact that she doesn't even crack a fucking smile he plays it off that he's kind of really intimidated by her. And she has just this smirk on her face like, hmm, you're my pet. And I'm going to keep fucking with you in any way I want to. She's like, it's so good. And I love it. And, oh, my God. And in, in the way Flair, he goes, because I have Deborah. <laughs> and he goes, I got woman, oh, woman, will you marry me? Woo. And he goes, and I got his Liz. And he starts kissing her arm again. <laughs> oh, my God. It's.
1: His best Fantastic. Shit some of his
2: best shit. I love it, and this is why this this exact promo is what I'm saying. It's so like this is the best. I feel like that I'd ever really seen a flare. He was on fire week after week in his best heelish. I mean, I know that he had it in the '80s too, but I'm saying like, sure, this is some of his finest work. He was on fire. He's surrounded by three gorgeous women. I'm like, he's a fucking pimp in '96. But then in my mind. I go, all right, Nitro becomes real big, right? Where does he go in this line? Because I obviously know that what's going to eventually take over. I'm like, and you know that he has some heat down the road in real life with Bischoff. And now I can see probably why. I'm like, yo, he was your hottest heel. Look what he was doing at the time. And then you're like, NBO, that's it. That's everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. One trick right, pony. I'm just
2: saying, like, as, yeah, I look at it, and I'm like, it, Flair was, I, again, I keep saying it, on fire. Every week we keep saying his promos are the best. We're like, what outlandish thing did he say this week that was the best part of Nitro? So, um, but, yeah, then we will talk about the rest of the card here. Ben Juan Anderson took on the American Males. Um, first of all, Benoit, did you see he had a shiner on his face? Is it real?
1: I don't know. They didn't look that banged up at the end of the match, but that doesn't really kind of mean what anything. I was thinking,
2: but true. I don't know.
1: Just, I, I'm a I mark. Tell if it was I'm a really mark. So I don't know.
2: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I am obviously by birth, but let me ask you this question. Before I talk about this match, one thing that we talked about recently, we talked about uh, Marcus Bagwell, Buff Bagwell, being arrested in Cobb County. We talked about Boss Man, right? We made that joke. Did we happen to mention the fact that he looked like basically now Al Snow?
0: Yeah, I can see it.
2: it, I can see it. Right? I just, just wanted to bring that up. But, of course, Benoit and Anderson go over in this match. No doubt. No problem. The next match we have was a Bubba uh, Rogers versus John Tenta rematch from the night before. Loved everything about this segment. I got to be honest with you. Jimmy Hart gets involved. You got the megaphone. All that stuff. Tenta, you know, going over. But. Big Bubba starts beating his fucking head in with a loaded sock that looks like it's a baseball in there, right? And he is bouncing it off of Tenta's head hard. Yeah, he cracked him. Yep. Then lets the knot go, and it's all coins. Well... He's holding the coins, basically, when you see it. The the, the tennis ball stays down at the very long end of that tubular sock, and it was sectioned off with the coins being at one end. Right. But cool segment, man. Uh, He was cracking the living shit out of Tenta with that thing. I go, oh, my God. Tennis ball or or not, that hurt. It's kind of like the whole um, Miro throwing the snake. Whether it was or not, Holy shit, I can't believe you just did that. Watching, I go, oh, my God, it looks like he's murdering
1: him it was here stiff. in the middle
2: of the Nitro ring. It was stiff. Yeah. So, um... Wait, is that right? No, yeah, oh, I'm right, yeah. A Mean Gene promo. Okay, all right, I just <laughs> want to make sure. <laughs> With uh, Macho Man, really just, you know, it, you're back, you're reinstated. Let me
0: tell you something, I'm
2: not all
0: there...
2: Best line. A just great line. But we get finally a match between Ric Flair and Randy Savage. we were thinking we're getting our blow-off match finally because it's been a while since he hasn't even been allowed in the arena. Right. He goes for the, the big elbow off of the top rope, and all the girls are standing over Flair. <laughs> well, guess what? He didn't give a shit about all the wrestlers. He didn't give a shit about the refs. And he did it once again. He dives and just goes for the elbow. Favorite part of the night. He didn't give a fuck about all the women right there. He was still going for the elbow. Uh, the, Elmo, the elbow.
0: The elbow. Elbow knows where you live. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he goes for the elbow. And the ladies part C right away. And he, and he takes that, uh, that elbow. But... The horsemen all come out and help, and Flair gets the win. So now we get that pack mentality. We get uh, now another promo, again, Mean Gene, with Kevin Sullivan and the Giant. And they're talking about how Anderson has called the horsemen the elite. Giant says, how come if you're all elite, none of you guys have the world championship? God, I love that part. I just thought it was the best line. Yeah, good shit. Uh, Then we get a Glacier promo. Real big buildup. And then another interview, Mean Gene with Rey Mysterio, who's on the way to the ring to get a title rematch against Dean Malenko and in another classic. Two nights in a row, these guys put on awesome matches. Neither one of them the same. Dean Malenko retains again. And then we get a giant versus Scott Steiner match. And in there, we get our second Glacier promo. I'm calling it. He's the third man. It's going to be those outsiders and Glacier. I'm calling
1: it. That's got to be what it is. Yeah, it said July 96. I have a funny feeling that's going to get delayed. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and, you know, Giant
2: gets his win over Scott Steiner, also no-selling a wooden chair shot. I miss the wooden chair shots, by the way.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. What I really thought was interesting was Steiner hit a side suplex on Giant, and the mm-hmm. crowd fucking popped big for that. It was pretty fucking impressive.
2: Like, but he almost thought he was going to pull off the victory.
1: Just him doing that was enough, you know? I think, you know, yeah. he hadn't really seen too much of that yet, so...
2: And and now, <laughs> Mean Gene goes. I was in with the director the director board meeting, and uh, it was a very big executive meeting. Dude, you have been doing so many fucking promos, kiss my ass! <laughs> that you were just coming out of that meeting. He said he just got out of the meeting. Yeah, right. That made me laugh. But six names have been drawn that will be the possible three versus those outsiders. Now that they now we keep calling them that's the second time tonight we're hearing it. Yep. the six names are Hulk Hogan, the Giant, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Sting, and Macho Man Randy Savage. And the latter three are the ones that are the ones that are pulled from a hat. We got Sting, Luger, and Savage. They will be taking on the Outsiders and Glacier. I assume at the, uh, the bash at the beach, pay-per-view coming up in July. I don't know whoever the third man is going to be, but they talked some shit, uh, the night before, by the way, they said, are you going to give us the nacho man? How about the huckster? The
1: huckster. <laughs> Love the
2: huckster. So, all right, man, I ran down nitro. What happened with raw?
1: All right. So this is the king of the ring. Go home show. Uh, Watched it last night with my son. Uh, so he's twelve. He knows a little bit about modern wrestling. I kind of keep him updated every once in a while. But it was cool for him to see some old shit. Uh, but with some people, is this that the he one was...
2: that's old enough now to be our DD. No, this is not. This is the oh. younger one.
1: So yeah, that, he's too old. Uh, he, he's dead. He's too cool for that. You know. So, uh, so, <laughs> uh, Raw starts off with a King of the Ring quarterfinal match. It's Savio Vega and Austin Part Three. Vega has won the first two matches, which both have been strap matches, which there was only two because of the weather at the pay-per-view. Austin gets the win, in case you didn't know that. And this is the first time we see the Stone Cold Stunner on national TV. Perhaps it was done at a house show. It probably was prior to this. But up until now, he's been using the Million Dollar Dream. This is the first time we see the Stunner on TV. So pretty cool, pretty momentous.
2: Didn't even know that that was the match that it originated in. It's crazy.
1: Yep, and they sold it well. It was an immediate one-two-three after that. So uh, after another that, we man as his breaking point. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while, so <laughs> I'll give it to you. Uh, we got we got a promo for Undertaker, Mankind coming up uh, this Sunday, so that should be good. Uh, next, we had another quarterfinal match. It was Mero with Sable versus Owen Hart. Owen still got the uh, cast on. Uh Austin's on commentary. And this is like the first time we get to hear him actually kind of cut a promo. So again, very important night, I think, in in raw history. Uh during the match yeah, they do I a I mean tri- that's
2: the beauty of wrestling. They they can't get that from you.
1: Okay. Too soon? Yeah, I I, I can <laughs> catch him. Uh they do a tribute to <laughs> Dick Murdoch here. Uh Owen attacks Marrow after Marrow wins. My Owen. He's a chicken. He tried to attack my bad arm. You little nugget. No
2: one could really play a... God, what's the word? I'm looking at like a... um A scared heel. Like Owen, you know what I mean? Like one that looks to get all of the... Cuts the corners, all that stuff. Like he played it best, man. Like, like Flair was the intentional heel is where Owen was like the pre-Eddie Guerrero. You know what I mean? Like the one that made it look like you were the reason. It's just, I I miss, every time I watch an Owen match, I go, God damn, I miss this dude, man. Like, it's just, and there's not a bad match when you watch him because he's just that athletic for 96. And you're like, when you watch him, you're like, well, yeah, that's cool. And you're like, oh, wait, hang on, no one else is doing that right now. (laughs) I got to remember that because that's all we see nowadays is everybody is the modern day owen hearts because it's kind of the bare minimum now. If you're not at least a decent owen Hart, you're not even going to make it to TV.
1: Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um so, yeah, after Miro gets attacked post match by Owen, King's trying to say and you know, I'm sure he purposely said it. Uh but he said uh you know, Miro he's trying to say Miro's going to need resuscitation uh, and what he says is uh Uh, Meryl's going to need artificial insemination. (laughs) And then he repeated it a couple more times, you know, just in case you didn't hear him. Yeah, totally meant it by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, uh, Bulldogs in ring with Jim Ross and Diana. Uh, Cuts a promo, HBK comes out, they brawl. All right. Uh, we get an ad for the superstar line teasing five new superstars coming to the WWF. Uh, then we get the awkward Lawler King Wait, of the Ring. how many? Five.
2: Yeah. Do you know what that is?
1: Fake diesel. It's their Fake counter. Razor.
2: Exactly. But it's their counter to be like, well, you think they have people? Wait till you see what we have. And then uh, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, what do we have? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we got Justin Bra- Bradshaw. All right. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Uh, Aldo Montoya was in the ring. Lawler just decides to throw his headset down, go into the ring, take off his coat, and be in wrestling gear and cut a promo on Warrior and then beat down Montoya. Okay.
2: It was just incredible. It was
1: awesome. Yes, I. you love doing it. I know. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jake Roberts music hits. Lawler powders. Uh, they do a spot for uh, the Special Olympics. Um you know, carrying the Olympic torch was pretty cool. And then we get the Brian Pillman contract signing promo. Wait.
2: Was that boy in the promo?
1: No, this was for people that won real medals.
2: Oh, got it. Uh, <laughs> yes, but Brian Pillman, dude, which is funny because they make a mention of him, by the way. I, I, I They've been talking about
1: him for several weeks.
2: Well, no, but they, how they said that uh, he's a scaredy cat ran off. Now he's not; he can't hang where the big boys play. They mentioned it, of course, during the the Pelman. I'm sorry, the Sullivan and Benoit right. match, and it was during that match that I actually thought to myself, "I go, I wonder when Pillman's gonna show up in WWF." And here it is. The Boom. next night they tell you this, which is so great.
1: Yeah. So just uh, eerie. It was almost very eerie especially knowing yeah. now everything so um after that we got gold yeah, versus-
2: post the 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 accident all that oh yeah shit. you're like i, I no idea and he
1: was on crutches you know at the he had the crutches yep. there you know at the podium so yeah it was weird uh i can't say this is the greatest main event ever uh it was gold dust versus jake roberts harvey whippleman is the referee Excellent. Okay. Uh, they do another excerpt from Jake's interview, uh, like on that one show. I forget what it was called. We talked about it last week. They did an excerpt about it where it talks about him trying to get clean and everything. Uh, and this one was him talking about, uh, I think, going up against Goldust. And it was a really great segment because it was just Jake saying, you know, I may not be as fast as them. I may not be as strong of them. And he laughs and he goes, I may not have as much hair as them he goes but i have experience you know it was just it was a really solid like promo it wasn't too sappy uh but it was a very baby face strong confident promo and then it comes back he was
2: very rehabilitated at this time yes well then it comes
1: back to vince mcmahon who's like yes and jake uh, speaks on about his drug abuse and uh i'm like way to ruin it asshole it was horrible. Like, he just, he shit all over Jake. It was this really heartfelt promo, and it's just oh like. Oh, my man. God.
2: Look at man. This isn't shoehorning in. I'm kind of personally doing this. What happened to your career? Owner, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, lawyer, fucked me. Like that right there, man. Like. Trying to be a good man, trying to get better. Well, Jake was a drug addict. (laughs) Holy shit, dude. What happened? Owner fucked me. (laughs) I'm innocent.
1: (laughs) It was. Just
2: like everyone else in here.
1: Uh, At one point, uh, Vince teases Marlena's photo shoot in the WWF magazine. Uh, King spoils.
2: No, no, no. The WWF Raw Uh, magazine. It was a new magazine. And let me tell you something. I don't know if it sold like hotcakes, but I bought one. I bought the RAW magazines because I was a very, very big subscriber at the time. To not a subscriber, like I would get them in the mail, but like I would just every you go to Wegman's. There you go. There's a little name drop there for us. You go, you go right. and get a. You go to the magazine section. Get this, you know, new WWF magazine. But then when RAW came out, it was supposed to be an edgier magazine. Oh. Yeah. Like the show was edgier itself. Um and they had spread outs of like Marlena basically with gold dust gold hands over her nipples and that was it and she was naked everything else. All right. Same with Sunny things like that. So yeah, I want to bring up that that's why they they were trying to push for the edgier
1: time with that magazine that was raw. All right. Just the way Vince liked it. Yikes! I I can't <laughs> do uh, old dirty. I can't uh, imitate that. <laughs> uh, maybe you can put a bumper in there or something. I don't know. Uh, King randomly. Sp- well, no, no, <laughs> no, nah, nah, we don't need it. that's blasphemy. Yeah, that's that's a, rule. Number that's one, about, no yeah, bumpers. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. The other <laughs> rules rule you learn as you go along. Uh, King just randomly spoils the ending of mission impossible. I don't know why he just starts talking about the Did movie, he re- the I- movie mission impossible. Yeah. And he literally just explains the whole ending. I think it's right around when it came out, which is fucking hilarious. Uh and oh. Then, I didn't
2: even know that it just came out at it, that time. So I was just, I could be wrong. Was just talking about yeah. it. Uh, uh
1: and then he says Well uh, no,
2: that seems about right. You're talking about the Tom Cruise mm-hmm. original Mission Impossible. I think you're right. And that isn't
1: Ving Rams in that?
2: Ahmed Johnson played a role in that movie? Yeah, I think so.
1: At least you picked That's up awesome. on it, so it worked out. All right. Oh, I sure did. <laughs> so uh, All right. So they, they go to Mr. Perfect, who's in the back, and he's teasing that he knows who the ref is going to be for the HBK-British Bulldog match. Meanwhile, Marlena slides some glitter to Goldust, blinds Jake, hits some loaded fist, gets the pin. After Whippleman counts the pin, he sees the glitter, reverses the decision, Jake gets the win, Hits a DDT on Goldust, everybody goes home happy. But wait, there's more. Backstage again with Mr. Perfect, we got Jim Cornette there, and he is talking about you need somebody who is not only, uh, you know, courageous and can take bumps from other wrestlers and has integrity, but you almost need a perfect referee. So Mr. Perfect will be the guest referee for HBK and British Bulldog. At the king of the ring, so
2: Red. again, does it not seem like I I, I know that all right, we're, all right, you know what we'll say it. Money wars, it's over. Okay, we did it for today. All right, now let's talk realness here. Does it not seem like they're not gonna put Vader in the main event? Does it not seem like? Perfect should be fucking Michael's over, and that should be your main event of SummerSlam. I really feel like, how do you not go that road? To me, that would have been the best, probably SummerSlam main event you ever had. I really mean it. And if even if Michael's just retained over Perfect, it would have been a, an amazing match. What the fuck happened? I can't wait to see what goes on, to be honest yeah, with you.
1: because we already got the the stare down at the one entrance during uh yeah that's my point yeah exactly
2: where, exactly yep. so that's why i was like this has got to be where we're going with it but it's not and it bothers it's me not, for I some know. reason
1: i don't know why i'm like i want to rewrite history instead he just makes poor leon cry
0: ladies and gentlemen it's now time for best there is The moss covered three handle family credential. It's me, Austin. Uh, Just what they think. They got the answers. I changed the questions. I did it for the rock. This week's top topic. You know something, Gene? Don't see. The wrestling's not fake. Uh-huh. The Rolex wearing one. Diamond ring wearing one. one. Kids stealing. Woo! Wheel a dealing. One. Limousine light. Check for.
2: Sierra Hotel. India. Echo. Lima. Lima. Delta. Here, yes, the following ranking order and final decisions are a completely bias based order. Based off, the professor and ODM made it. And as always, they like to let you know they have not worked in the business, but have been lifelong invested fans much like you are listeners. With not only their opinions involved, but with countless amount of hours of research done each week, they make sure to provide proper facts and history to back it up. However, they do know that your opinion may vary from theirs. If there is anything you want to chat about, bring to their attention. If there is something they missed or forgot, or you just want to let them know they are out of their freaking minds, feel free to shoot them a message on Facebook or Twitter, or email them at the top of wrestling at gmail.com. As always, they do appreciate all feedback and continued support. At the end of the day, they want to make sure that you do see the best of the best before you die. And now, this week's top topic. I want to talk about the top 25 feuds right now. Not tomorrow, not the day after, not after breakfast, not after CSI. God damn, I'm so mad I could just throw this rock through that poster of David Cassidy. (laughs) little mix of everything
1: for you, my man. (laughs) No, I appreciate it. And my apologies for being a little late. 40 years, I've been asking permission to piss. I can't squeeze a drop without (laughs) (laughs) say-so.
2: To this day, I have no unearthly idea what that girl was singing about. (laughs) I have no idea what a hollerback girl is.
1: (laughs) Why do you sound like Sling Blade when you're trying to do Morgan Freeman?
2: I was trying to do Cleveland's version, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm red and I eat tater tots. Mm. All right, whatever, dude. I I'm not the I am not the impressionist on this show. So, all right, here we go. Top topic. It is the top 25 feuds of all time. Now let's talk about a feud. All right, if you have a series of matches. An example is Omega vs. Okada, not a feud. Series of matches, okay. But a feud means you're feuding with each other. There's animosity, there's arguing, there's a reason to fight other than you're just trying to take the world title. At least that's kind of how I see it. Would you agree to that?
1: Absolutely. There's a catalyst of some sort and there's a reason to be fighting yep so
2: we're, we're gonna dive in we have 25 feuds of course we are gonna always throw out an honorable mention and man I gotta be honest this list was really tough to decide where all 26 of these actually go and I I, I don't want to re-preface what you hear in our bumper when we say you know this list is done by us and you know it's a you know we we work hard on this any one of them could maybe be flip-flopped one to two spaces give or take maybe even more yeah but really when you look at it it's just the whole of these feuds just great to revisit and i think that there's no other feuds that could be inserted into this list honestly in taking any of these out, I think I'm not tooting our own horn here, but I, I think these are 25 plus an honorable mention. Awesome feuds that every one of you are going to remember. Let's dive in. The honorable mention is Bret Hart and Owen Hart. This went on from 93 to 96. 93 is when at the Survivor Series, Owen was the only one eliminated from the. Hearts versus Shawn Michaels and the Knights. It was supposed to be Jerry Lawler, and I, that that was that was already a weird <laughs> switch. But Owen's <laughs> the only one who loses, right? Um, began a, a year-long feud of 94 with Owen and Brett. But Owen was always still the antagonist in the background, helping Backlund win the title, um, being in the corner of other guys, as we've seen recently, even on Raw. Anybody to go against Brett, anybody but Brett. Uh, And that went almost through about 96 until they finally reformed being in the Hart Foundation in 97. But here we are, our actual 25 feuds. Coming in at number 25 is CM Punk versus Jeff Hardy. This took place in the spring and summer of 2009. This was very, I'd say controversial. Because this is where CM Punk was bringing up not only Jeff's past, but also cutting down that fourth wall or the kayfabe barrier, if you will, being like, that's why you were suspended, Jeff. You were suspended for being a drug addict. How many times have I been suspended? Zero. And it was a a great feud that, began when Jeff finally beats Edge at Extreme Rules in a TLC match or maybe it was just a ladder match one or the other you know they're all kind of the same one way or another finally beats him and then here comes CM Punk who is money in the bank he's already wrestled a match earlier in the night uh, earlier in the night against Umaga in a strap match I believe or maybe a falls falconer what anywhere he had a couple of matches against umaga but really just going full heel in beating the ultimate baby face and jeff hardy and then cm punk plays the i don't get what you guys are booing role and that's <laughs> why i like this feud he's like i don't what, what are you guys upset about i did what anybody else would do i did it a, a year ago and you were okay with it when i beat edge but why are you booing me, but not booing Edge? He's a dr- or, uh, booing uh, Jeff Hardy. He's the drug addict. He's the one that's been suspended. And this is the very beginning of the real straight edge society and him going full blown heel in WWE officially. Uh, awesome, awesome feud. I always love that one. Number 24 The Undertaker versus. Batista, that may surprise some people that that's in there, but when you go back and look at the year of 2007 and you look at SmackDown, your biggest feud really was the world champion Batista and Undertaker. And then after that match uh, at WrestleMania 23, it was Batista chasing the Undertaker to get his title back. It it was just a, a great feud because... One of my favorite things was at, it was either No Way Out or the Raw after No Way Out. Undertaker has just won the 2007 Royal Rumble. And now he's officially going to choose who he wants to face at WrestleMania. Is it Bobby Lashley for the ECW title? Is it Sean, or I'm sorry, not Sean, is it John Cena for the WWE title, or is it Batista for the world title? Teases each man and then gets right in Batista's face, does the dead eyes and the slice across the throat. That began a huge feud because it was two unstoppable monsters up at this point who are going for the world title, made the world title pretty credible on SmackDown, and in a time where this time your alternates were... Cena and Michaels, right, at at that WrestleMania. And then Cena taking on Umaga and a couple other guys. It was not really, like, interesting enough. Right. As opposed to what was really killing it that entire summer, which was Taker and Batista. Number 23. Oh, You want to talk about it's almost the same as watching uh, Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit right now, right? Pretty much. Summer of 2005, Edge is your Money in the Bank contract holder, and he's walking around with Lita, and we keep seeing Matt Hardy show up on Raw every now and then, and you hear him saying, Adam, you screwed me. Who the fuck is Adam? Well, Adam is Adam Copeland, who is Adam Copeland, who is Edge. <laughs> they were trying to blur the kayfabe lines. I loved how he did it, and he even said things like, "You could see me this weekend at Ring of Honor." Hand to God, first time I ever heard of Ring of Honor in my entire life. Was hearing Matt Hardy say it on Raw. Wow. I, I thought that was that. kind of yeah. It was. I thought it was very interesting, um, and the whole basis of this is the love triangle between Edge and Lita and Matt Hardy. I still... There's a lot of things I don't get. You fired the guy that got screwed over, and then, even more so, you had him lose the storyline. If you watch this entire feud play out, Matt still looks like the dope. Edge still looks like... As I had to fight off the ex-boyfriend, I still got the girl, still got the money in the bank contract. And I sent you packing a SmackDown.
1: Just, I found it to be a very odd feud. It was. Uh... <sighs> From my memory, they almost painted Matt like the uh, stalker, creepy ex-boyfriend.
2: Yep. With, uh, what was that? The Bite This. Their... Online telephone in kind of thing where he calls in and starts breaking down the relationship with Lita keeps calling her Amy he's like well you cheated on me Amy and it's like oh my god bro get the fuck over it like there's other girls out there it, you're right it really did make him stalkerish that's I don't think I ever really
1: yeah I like I'm not super ex- yeah this was kind of like I'm, I'm you know familiar with the feud but you know, Any time I've watched anything regarding that particular f- feud, it, it was it was they they made hard Matt look so ineffectual, like it was you know it, it, I'm gonna tell I, I'll give an allegory. Imagine somebody who ha, you know lives in a house, married, and has a friend that lives across the street. Then he gets divorced from his wife, but he still wants to hang out with his buddy, so he goes over to his buddy's house. And every once in a while, he kind of just creeps out front and just stares across the street at the house that he used to live in. That's what they made him sound like. And then they just—Why are you telling my story to people? <laughs> Nobody would have known if you didn't say anything.
2: <laughs> um, no, you're right, man. I—I—I I, I, I think I actually took the tugging of the heartstrings of Matt, where I'm like, "That's pretty fucked up," because that. You know, we're boys. We're wrestling. We really we're wrestlers. We you know we have a bond together. We shouldn't fuck each other's wives or girlfriends. And uh, you're out hurt. Don't worry. I'll take care of Lita. <laughs> yeah, it. With the mega powers. And man, it made Edge look so bad at the time. Mm-hmm. But what better he if you want to be a heel? He was like a half-ass heel up until this moment. I think he was a heel because he had the the feud going with Benoit just prior to this where they were tag champs and he didn't want to be with him and he was trying to be kind of a heel because he felt he should have been having the world title shot over Sean and over Benoit all this stuff at this time in late 2004 that when this all came around I'm like yeah he's he's an okay heel but dude as soon as this Matt Hardy thing happened it was real heat people legit hated Not just Edge, but Adam Copeland. Mm -hmm. You don't get better heat than that. So number 22 involves one of the same men, Edge. And this is the time where he is fighting with John Cena. Throughout 2006 and 2007, they had a series of several matches to the point where... Mr. Cena was involved, John's father, who I had the privilege of meeting at one point in my life, by the way. Uh, But it all capped off with just some, it obviously first started with the very first ever cash-in. No one expected the cash-in. Everybody thought the cash-in was going to be, oh, hey, I want to have my match this date. No one expected it was going to be right after someone got done with a match. Right. It was unheard of at this point. Well. And after Cena just had to beat. We'll say that again. It was the
1: first one. So yeah, nobody really knew what to expect.
2: Well, well, yeah, that exactly. And after Cena beats five guys in the Elimination Chamber, here comes Edge, ultimate opportunist. And that becomes the catalyst of who he is forever. And him and John Cena had a great feud. Rob Van Dam gets in the middle of it for a little bit there with the uh the world title of that one nice sandwich we recently talked about. But why did R V D win it? Edge. Edge was the reason because he came in with the Rick Rude style, uh, trench coat and motorcycle helmet, just like he did back in the day in ECW. But also these guys had a series of great matches at SummerSlam. And one of my favorite matches is a TLC at Unforgiven 2006. That's where Cena puts Edge through two tables from the top of a ladder before taking the title back. I mean, they threw each other in the water. All it was one of those Rock Cena type, or no, I'm sorry, not Rock. Cena. I was gonna She's say Rock Austin, Austin type feuds. Gotcha. It, it was very. You could tell Edge was the vet, uh, the vet in the time, but Cena wasn't too far behind. So it was a really good matched feud. I, I just in the 2006-2007 era, I don't think there was anything better than that. Good call. Now we talked about our honorable mention was a brother versus brother feud. Number twenty-one, just that. Undertaker versus Kane. Nineteen ninety-seven to nineteen ninety-eight. That's I mean, obviously ninety-seven is where bad blood, that's that's gotta be Kane, shows up. Yeah. And we get several months of I won't fight you, Kane. I won't fight you, Kane. Royal Rumble comes, lights that motherfucker on fire in a casket. You know what? We're going to fight, <laughs> you little bastard. <laughs> and they finally have their match at WrestleMania 14. They also have a match at WrestleMania 20. And, and when I bring up that WrestleMania 20, they also come back and have a feud in before that, actually, in 2002. At SummerSlam, they had a a match where Undertaker takes off Kane's mask for the very first time ever, but he retreats and no one could see what he looked like. They did it purposely in the aisleway where there was very little lights and you could aim right back to the the dressing room. But one of my favorite parts of their feud, believe it or not, was 2009-2010. Kane buries The Undertaker, helping Vince McMahon get rid of him forever. Kane also becomes your money-in-the-bank contract winner, and in the same night beats Rey Mysterio for the world title. And he spends most of the fall feuding with The Undertaker. They had Hell in a Cell, Bragging Rights, all these matches. And he made Undertaker his bitch. Undertaker never wins the world title off of Kane. To me, it was the ultimate uh, payback or thank you. I'm not sure what you could call that, but to me, this is one of the, the best feuds ever. Even though you have your brothers of destruction, they've come together, but when it came time to separating, they had some excellent matches. All right, so we had, you know, WrestleMania fourteen twenty Hell in a Cell all those what, what what was your favorite Taker and Kane match Do you
1: kind of have one um, You know I'm still a sucker I wouldn't say this is my favorite but I'm still a sucker for the Um Oh Jesus Why am I blanking the Inferno match Okay it's, it's, So it's, that it's is a, it's a gimmick uh, match But you know it
2: was an in, in your house Yeah And you're right that But, but <sighs>
1: It was original. No one else did that before. Yeah. And and it fit for those guys. I mean, it was, you know, that was Kane, That was Kane. All right, you know, Undertaker, you know, from hell and all that shit. So, I mean, you know, it worked out. Um the hell in the cell match probably would be my favorite match. Um again, it was just fitting. Um yeah. But yeah, I, I, there there's no shortage. It was it was one of those things you didn't have to go out of your way to book this, it kind of just wrote itself. Once you introduced Kane, it was all built in. And you got to think one of the best things about it was you got to see a different side of Undertaker. You did get to see that more hesitant, um, you know, kind of like a, like a moral quandary or something with them. So yeah, it definitely uh, was good, but yeah, Hell in a Cell probably I'd say.
2: What what's funny though is that like Edging Christian, they said ah fuck gay fabe or whatever we were doing. His buddy Christian, they it's they stopped saying the brothers. Right, they were brothers in the brood. They were brothers Edging Christian all yep. the time, right? From nineteen ninety seven. To 2021, we are still saying that they are brothers. They have not said anything other. Yeah, they did a documentary about how they came together, this and that. But when it comes to TV, it's the brothers of destruction. His brother, Kane. It is the only two kayfabe characters that came out of the 90s that are still kayfabe fucking characters. (laughs) Like Kane is a burned up dude with a just like a messed up face undertaker's dead yep it's just when anytime kane it writes itself like you said
1: Yep. anytime kane comes back we know he's the mayor of a town but when he comes back he's got the mask on with the fake hair you know so i
2: automatic i swear to god if i was in any wwe event right now kane came out the last thing on my mind is he is a mayor yeah I swear to God. That's yeah. the best part about it. Is exactly. Cause it, 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 yeah, it's just, it, it amazes me. Their feud honestly amazes and me. It's I one think of my favorites of all time. Because and- Undertaker built a new monster. He didn't just battle someone who was a monster. He created a monster and shown that he could be a little destructible. Kane is indestructible. Who's going to be Kane? Austin was much stronger than everything altogether with his merchandise sales, so that's why everything was that way. But you know where I'm going. Uh Uh-huh. Number 20. Something we're going to visit very soon, and I think I'm not going to spend too much time on it because of that fact, but we've talked about it several times before. Mm -hmm. DDP has given his entire career to Macho Man Randy Savage. He has said it over and over. The night that he took that diamond cutter, the night that he I got the pin over Savage, that's the night I was made. And so here we are. We're talking about reliving 1996, and they're sitting here talking about him being a homeless man. Okay, I guess it really was taking a, a feud with Savage. But let me say this. Name one other man besides Savage who takes a feud and makes it as personal. Savage took him and Flair, made it personal. He could take him and Crush, made it personal. Roberts, everybody along the way, and it was like death. When he ran to the ring to go after Jake Roberts in 92, at like the Royal Rumble or whatever it could have been, right? It was because it was real passion, and he did that with DDP. I really feel like when Savage committed to a feud... He was doing it for the betterment of everyone. And the most feud that's talked about that never got to happen, He, and everybody's heard of, he pitched him versus Shawn Michaels. And Vince shot it down multiple times, and then he said, I'm out to WCW. Can make other stars. You know who we made? DDP. What did you think of this feud?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what it was. I mean, at this point, let's be honest, this is Savage starting, well, yeah, I mean, we're really starting to get towards the end. Uh, we're, we're converting from Pimp Savage to All Black Savage, um, but yeah, it, because you look at, we were, like you said, you look at where we're at now with Diamond Dallas Page, he just won Lord of the Rings. Uh, they're trying to play the sympathy angle, even though he's a heel. Um, they're putting over the Diamond Cutter, so we're starting to get there. Uh, and, and it was a, a trilogy of matches ending in Halloween Havoc. So, you know, one of the best. We, we had it on top of our list for one of the best WCW matches ever. So it's, and uh, one of the
2: best trilogies in my mind, honestly, yeah. of all time. In, Absolutely. In a lot of matches, there's very few, unfortunately, that are actual just trilogies. Right? Even Omega Okada is now four. Four, yeah. Um, Hogan Savage, all those guys, right? Well, I mean, we all talk about the Flair Steamboat Trilogy, but they've had several matches in other areas, right? But sure. This was a trilogy. These guys only really met on a pay-per-view for the main... Fight The blow-off. They may have had some Nitro matches in there. I don't know 100%. I won't give or take on one end or the other. But I will say that main fight feel when it came to pay-per-view, they had three solid matches. It was 97. And it was one of the top feuds of 97. And that is actually going to the uh Pro Wrestling Almanac that used to come out. That was one of the top feuds that entire year. It was hot, and it made DDP who he was. Later that year, he became U.S. champion. Several months later, world champion. Thank you, Randy Savage. Hell yeah. That's how I look at it. Absolutely. Next, at number 19, kind of the uh, same thing. Someone who's trying to build a star. In 2002, we had Biker, American Badass Taker. But at the same time, and he's on SmackDown, but over on Raw... We have a guy who's dominating the living piss out of everybody, and that's Brock Lesnar. Once he wins the world title from The Rock, he becomes exclusive to SmackDown as Stephanie picked him up. And so now he's officially on SmackDown, and his biggest feud to come up is Undertaker. And they had, I think, two draw. Type matches. One was a Hell in a Cell. Another one was like a, just a no DQ match, or no a, a chain match. And they, they had brawls, but it made L- Lesnar look like a beast, an absolute beast. Taker, in one of the very few times in his life, is a selling machine in throughout these matches. So you would think that's where it ends. No. This feud is going to get reignited in 2014 WrestleMania 30. What's funny is I remember so much about the build-up to this. That it's I remember Undertaker stabbing yep. Lesnar's hand with the pen. Yep. He lit all the coffins or caskets on fire on the way to the ring. I'm like, yeah, Lesnar's done. And... Our mutual buddy John was at my house. We all watched this pay per view. And no one could ever forget that final slap to the mat of the three and being like, wait, what? What the fuck did you just do? Did you just make Undertaker lose to Brock Lesnar? What the fuck? Now that boy didn't understand not that boy, uh John Boy didn't understand Um, He's like Do you think it was an accident No this was meant to happen I can promise you And everything that's all fucking mighty This was meant to happen But it's funny because then like months later Heyman came out with that On the Or the inside of the ring thing He's like what if He goes "Yeah. What if all these things He goes he just did it Who's going to tell him no Who's going to force him out of that three And I'm like well, now you're really fucking up WrestleMania 30 for me. I don't know. But that's what he's good
1: at, man. But, you know?
2: Yeah, but then they had a match at SummerSlam. They, de- they even did another one at Hell in a Cell.
1: The uh, SummerSlam match is the one where he's got him in the Hell's Gate and Brock flips him off. But it was, yep. something, it was something weird like Undertaker tapped, but the ref didn't see it. He reversed it into a Hell's Gate. Brock flips him out and passes out.
2: And it's also the one where we get the very first ever Undertaker with weird short hair looking at yeah. Brock and does the ha, 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 laugh. It's like that. It's like an infamous gif that I can't get out of my fucking head. I hate it. But that feud actually still ended up going all the way again into like the, the late of 2015. So it's kind of a long feud that, again, when you look at it, you're like, 2002, could have stopped there. But then you're like, well, back in the day, I was the only man that could tame you. Let's have a match in the big stage. I think the feud was very well done overall throughout the years. I mean, we know, we've talked about Taker showing up at the UFC when Lesnar yeah. loses. And he goes, what do you think? You want to do it? I'm like... I, I even on a kayfabe level, bro, I think that was the wrong time to ask him that question.
1: <laughs> so, well, no. Well, so, uh, you know, I've mentioned it several times, you know, uh, Calloway being on uh, Joe Rogan uh, and he brings that up. And Joe Rogan goes like, you know, he says something like, yeah, I was there to pick a fight. He's like, oh, you were there to pick like a martial arts fight with him. He goes, no. What are you fucking stupid? <laughs>
2: fair. That's Fair. Good for him. Um, yeah, it's just like I said, he made Brock look unbeatable so that anybody else he ever faced
1: pfft, gave nothing. him the rub. Gave him the rub. Yeah. He did it with Kane. Coming he did at it with number Brock. eight.
2: Yeah, exactly. Let's see if he comes in anywhere else. Coming at number eighteen, Triple H and Mick Foley. Now, this one has kind of spaced itself throughout the years throughout most of 97, and we're going to get there when we do our reliving of Monday Night Wars, but in the King of uh, King of the Ring in that tournament is where it really starts to kick off in 97. Then they have a match at Canadian Stampede, and then Mankind just realizes Mankind can't cut the mustard, but maybe Cactus Jack can, And he shows up on Raw in New York City or wherever it was. It was somewhere like Philly or New York City or whatever it was. It was like ECW country. And he had a street fight against Triple H, and that's where he pile drives him on the table on the top of the ramp right under the Titan Tron. They had a match against each other at SummerSlam in 97 in a cage match where now he unveils his chest and he has a heart on his chest because at heart... The old home videos of back in the day, dude love. I mean, if you really think about it, Triple H helped bring out all the extra characters of Mankind. Let's fast forward. Because in late 99 and in 2000, well, 99, you know, Mankind became the world champion at SummerSlam 99. One night later, loses it to Triple H giving Triple H's first title reign. And now we're going to keep moving on to the rest of the year, and then we get the McMahon-Helmsley regime that begins. And now we get the uh, another comeback of Cactus Jack, and we get the infamous Hell in a Cell match, where it's the title versus career line. He loses, and Linda McMahon says, nope, let's give him one more round, We'll we'll give him one more shot. And he gets inserted into the WrestleMania 2000 uh, main event match against, uh, let's see, Triple H, Big Show, and The Rock. I liked the feud. I feel like if we talk about giving someone a rub in a feud, I feel like Foley was helping giving Triple H a rub. He needed, because Foley couldn't get booed if he tried. He was just... Two over you know what i mean like people <clears throat> loved mick foley and no matter what character he is but i'm against anybody else who's going to do heelish stuff we're going to boo the piss out of him excellent start for triple h i honestly think
1: yep and it's right about the time that he uh you know triple h you know along with Shawn michaels and departing from the hunter Hurst helmsley character started to really come into his own uh, but at that, but it, at the time that the feud started with Triple H, and Mankind had already been in a feud with somebody else, and had already become this character, Mankind, which had grabbed a foothold, and he did start getting over with the crowd. So yeah, it was just a, it was really good timing because Mankind had kind of cemented his footing where Helmsley hadn't really, other than just a smarmy heel. Um, but it was the right time to start turning him the other way, and it worked out.
2: Hundred percent and speaking of his buddy in crime number 17 we have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart most of this feud could you could say started in the late 80s and went all the way to 97 and beyond sure. or you know with but we're going to focus on the 96 97 era rockers and the hart foundation they had their time you know but it was never really a feud but it no. was two up and coming guys in the 92 era, while Brett was your world champion and, and Shawn was your intercontinental champion, it wasn't until really 96 that Vince put the gas pedal behind Shawn Michaels and Brett was not a fan of it. To the point of this feud went from an on-screen to an on-screen, off-screen feud. And after the WrestleMania 12 match where the Iron Man match and it was a not a 60 but a 62 minute match but Brett on the greatest rivalries DVD says that he told Owen yeah let work the boys tell him I'm pissed tell him I'm mad and and whatnot to this date I, I don't know if Brett was working the boys or if Brett worked himself because when he came back he was a very bitter person and Sean couldn't get booed if he wanted to. Even when he started doing DX stuff and he was chopping his crotch, people were like, oh, my God, I want to chop my crotch. It's (laughs) so it's it's a yeah, yikes this. Anyway, um, my point is that when Brett came back, he started doing all these Shawn Michaels, you boy toy and saying that you you posed for Playgirl, we're gonna get there very soon, very fucking yeah. soon, and are reliving the memories here. But it's every chance he could, Brett was taking a shot at Sean. Sean was doing it in reverse, and it it blurred the lines. This is again, this is Edge and Matt Hardy almost right, and not yeah. really because the love triangle. But unless you're talking about some sunny days. But at the end of the day, this whole thing really did culminate at Survivor Series 1997 and really didn't reconcile until uh, January of 2010 when they finally shook hands on Raw. Either way, to me, it's two guys at the same time battling for the same spot it wasn't just a feud in the ring. It was real personal feud outside of the ring because it's and Austin. You don't want anybody to have that world title than you. You want to be the main guy. You want to be the one that's on Regis and Kathy Lee. You want to be the one that's getting paid the most or going on Mad TV and all that shit. Brett got very jealous. When we start watching those promos we're watching from him, he's like... He it was, it was not fair. It was supposed to be a 60-man match. was six-two. Easy, dude. Like We're like, wow, he's really bitchy. But, so, how much is kayfabe? How much is real? Right. We'll, we'll find out, I guess. In uh, 1983, you have your very first ever WrestleMania. And you take your biggest feud that you have going at that time: Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper. Mm. But, man, I don't know. Piper, we don't want him to take a, a, a pin, and we don't want Hogan to lose his title. Let's make it a tag team title match or a tag team match just yeah. between Hogan and Piper or Hogan and Mr. T versus Piper and Orndorff. But prior to all that, I mean, these guys had they were selling out every arena. Hogan versus Piper. Each match ended in a schmoz every time whatever it was was bullshit but it was the hottest feud because piper knew how to get under the skin of not only hogan but all the hulkamaniacs and all the rest of the fans piper no one's like him man he he wanted to get almost like stabbed i feel like like mm-hmm. he's like if i get stabbed i did my job in a weird way pretty much and he did get stabbed yeah and then in you know that that feud Brought itself over into again, here we go. Monday Night Wars, we're going to get there again. But in 1996, he shows up and says, I am the one icon that you never beat Hogan. And they have a, a match at Starrcade in '96. I'm, I'm excited when we get there. Oh, honestly. that's going to be good I one. just One of my favorite matches. And they even carry themselves that match into '97, um, having like Team Hogan and NWO versus Team Piper, all different stuff. So, Piper and and Hogan still reignite reignited their feud like thirteen years later than you would have cared to see. But when it came out, you're like, nah, I can get down with this man. It's still, Piper. It's it. No matter what, at the end of the day, it's pros. That's Hogan and Piper. Number fifteen is my first feud of all time. I've said it many, many, many times. But the very first feud I ever watched, it all began on the main event as the Twin Towers took on Hogan and Savage, the uh, Mega Powers, and the Mega Powers exploded. And throughout 89 and 1990, it was Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. You throw Brutus Beefcake, Sherry, Zeus, Brother Love, all those people in there. Um, Buster Douglas at one point is a special referee, it got a lot of mixed. You know, it was a whole solid year of a program. It was, it was exactly what it should have been. You know, I, I've said it before that CM Punk was one of the only people I ever remember being a face champion and then turning himself heel while holding the title. Savage did that. He was a world champion and then, whoa, whoa, you're touching Liz? All right, I'm a bad guy. Here we go. Taking out Hogan. Takes him out in the medical room. Infamous moment we always talk about. And it's it's cool because Savage was a heel before, but I think because he was a smaller, fast-paced guy, they're like, I think we got to turn him face. People like him. People are liking him too much. But Hogan made him a legit heel. I really feel the entire King Savage versus Hulk Hogan era really made Savage one of his strongest heel points of all time, so that when he did go to WCW, anytime he was a heel, you bought it. Sure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All right. It was easy like to swap him sense. back
1: and forth because the crowd loved him, but they yeah. knew what to do with him to make the crowd not love him.
2: Exactly. And it it all depended on how he was talking on the mic, what he was saying, who he was addressing. He altered his ego the right way each time. Number 14 is probably one of my favorite pro wrestling feuds of all time. I say pro wrestling as in not just wrestling, but just more talking Matt classics. There's like seven, eight, nine matches between these guys that are on pay-per-views alone it's Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit they've had submission matches two out of three falls matches they've had Iron Man matches and even more so they've had some big main card matches they fought each other at Wrestlemania they fought each other at Royal Rumble and they fought each other at SummerSlam what other feuds can you say have touched all those in different years? And they swap throughout the whole time. You know, wins, losses. But one of my favorite things is in 2002, Stephanie says, i you guys fighting. Either you become a tag team or neither of you have jobs. And then they become tag team champions together, beating Edge and Mysterio, which has a great several matches that we've talked about then finally, once they lose the titles, they can finally go against each other. And that's where we get the Royal Rumble 2003 match where after Benoit has lost the match, the entire crowd is on their feet standing for him post an advertisement. Mm-hmm.
1: Remember,
2: yeah. like, the match ends, they show you replay. Here's a stupid ad- advertisement for, like, no way out. Benoit's in the ring still getting clapped.
1: Uh, the best awesome. part was uh, Benoit selling the leg at walking back to the locker room the whole way. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's their feud was
2: based off of who was the best wrestler. Yep. You didn't need other than that. I mean, there was the times you know where Chris Benoit did take Kurt Angle's medals and put them down his pants, which I did think was funny. He wrestled a match and put think... him on his pants, and it's funny because then Chris Benoit kissed him at the end. It was kind of funny. Do
1: you think those are the medals that that boy got?
2: Yeah, same ones with Sweaty Nutsack and all, and he was all happy about it. I bet he put him down in his own pants, too. Number 13. We talked about this feud, and it's one that kind of went on and on, the more you think about it, throughout the years. Everyone will always talk about WrestleMania 17. No, I take that back. WrestleMania 15, WrestleMania 17 and WrestleMania 19 when it comes to the rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. However, this feud went a lot deeper than that. Let's go back to late 1997. Steve Austin has officially defeated Owen Hart at the survivor series. Now he's, he's got his title back, after the broken neck, and all that shit. We go into the next several pay-per-views, and he is feuding with The Rock over the intercontinental title. The title gets thrown into the the ocean or the river or whatever it was. Uh, and that's yeah, when we river. get our... Yeah, that's right. I don't know why I said ocean. And that's why when we eventually get our new intercontinental title change, actually. We went from a very classic title for several years. It's the first time we went to that smaller-looking title. Which, it's funny, because... When that smaller title came out, I was like, I don't like it. Now I see the one we have now. I'm like, I wish we had that one from when Rock got it. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Oh, my God. It's Anyway, I don't know. Why does it have to change? But these guys feuded late 97. You know, if you kind of go back and remember, the last person eliminated in the 1998 Royal Rumble was The Rock. That's who, that's who Steve Austin throws out last. Go back to the 99 Royal Rumble where McMahon wins. The Rock fucks over Steve Austin, distracting him so McMahon can get that win, leading to their WrestleMania 15 match. 17's buildup was all about redemption and coming back from the broken neck injury and all that stuff and everything. I still believe to this date, Steve Austin's promo, the one on Raw, where it's Rock, Austin, and Jim Ross. When he said, I need this Rock more than you can ever possibly imagine. He's about to cry. I don't give a fuck what anybody ever tells me. I look at that, and I'm like, he sounds like he's going to cry. It looks real. It was him saying, I was away a whole year, and you were the fucking man. Man. I need this. I need to get back on top again. And then they do a, a nice little back and forth uh, in the summer of 2001 with the invasion angle, which, as you remember from last season, I played them singing in the ring, which is one of my favorite things, because even though they're feuding, well, I'll sing with you for a minute. Yeah, we're... <laughs> And then it all caps off in 2003, rocketing the redemption, of course, at WrestleMania 19. Yep. It was just one of those feuds that was a respectful feud of two guys coming up at the exact same time. Yep.
1: That's exactly, that's exactly
2: right. And, you know, when we talk about feuding, we're in the midst of one right now. When we're, While we're reliving our 1996 Monday Night Wars, both men coming out with shiners post-match from it but we got Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan through 1996 not much we need to say on this I don't think I'm gonna have to hold on to this one too much longer because between what we talk about in the 96 reliving plus dark side of the ring we've said it all about this feud
1: pretty much all
2: right number 11 this one is probably debatable. I'm not sure how happy people are going to be about this one, but deep down, I think they complement each other very well when it comes to a feud, and that is John Cena and Randy Orton. Throughout 2007, 2009, back and forth, you had your, uh, they had an Iron Man match. They so had no DQ matches, steel cage matches, and it was just a lot of back and forth. And one of the biggest things was when Cena tore his, uh, pectoral muscle, that was the time everybody was waiting for Randy to finally dethrone Cena and then he wins. Uh, and then, you know, Cena makes that triumphant return in 2008 at the Royal Rumble and inserting himself into that whole feud with Orton, but it's like they could never get away from each other. And in 2013 and 2014, it was heavily showcased again as you have your WWE and World Title Unification matches with that TLC that we talked about in 2013 and and all of that and so on and so forth. But like I said, I, I you look at these guys, they're both pros. They don't have a bad match with each other. And I think it's why it's always been a solid feud.
1: It's the it's the newer age version of Rock and Stone Cold. Really?
2: I, I actually truly believe that i really do it is because the same era same guys i mean they both have when well, back in the day it was rock had five Austin had six title reigns or whatever it was you know right. what i mean now because where we're at 13 and 13. 14 or whatever <laughs> right but they're on the same page so it really is almost i mean they both debuted in 2002 and here we are Except Orton's still going. I think Orton probably, to me, will be greater than Cena of all time. Unfortunately, Cena is the Hogan, the yeah. the, the Austin, the face of the company. He'll never get that recognition, Orton, unfortunately. But nope. he's probably been a better long stay than anybody next to Undertaker.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You want to talk about number 10? because I know this is one of your favorites. Oh, Jesus
1: Christ, man. The great thing about this is, because most of what we've talked about actually is all singles wrestlers. Well, not only is this tag teams, but it's three tag teams. It's TLC, TLC2, it's the Dudleys, it's Edge and Christian, and it's the Hardys. Um, You know, I'm sure during that time frame, if you looked around, you could find some shit that was on that level. But for mainstream access TV, there was really nothing like it. Uh, the iconic image of Edge spearing Hardy while he was hanging from the fucking title. You know, iconic. It, it defined a, a generation. It defined a tag team division. Um, just tables. I don't care
2: how you look at that. That still hurt. I mm-hmm. don't care if Edge carries your body on the way down to cushion it. That was a long ass drop. Yeah. Every time I see it, I go, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's still one of my favorite moments. And
1: the thing is, in their matches, nobody was safe. Lita took table bumps and and ladder bumps. And, yeah, you remember that one.
2: Lita took one to the – like a ladder bump to the head hard. Um, Yeah, man. And what I liked about this whole feud is it not only showcased the three teams, but it showcased Lita, showcased Rhino, showcased Spike Dudley. Um, But then you took these guys all – mostly, and unfortunately, I say I'm sorry, Devon. No one really took you as a credible singles wrestler ever. But Bully Ray, it took him to get to TNA to be that guy, sure, I will say. Sure. In WWE, I never would have ever said that he was a singles guy. No. But five out of six became great singles star wrestlers. This feud catapulted each and every one of them.
1: Yep, and and the thing is, I mean, you know, we were talking about the definition of a feud earlier. There was really, you know, this was, I guess, more of a were-the-best kind of feud. Uh, But the thing is, with three different tag teams and the longevity and the length of time it went over, uh, it was a feud because, yes, the catalyst was pride. The catalyst wasn't just the championships. It was, we're going to do you one better. We're going to one-up you. And that's pretty much what it was.
2: It's a lot of fresh fish. All right, number nine.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: Come on, man. We haven't talked about the movie, uh, movie.
1: I, I, I know. I think we're around. at the point. Don't worry. There's still the outro to do.
2: <laughs> number nine, I always liked is a feud. Uh it's Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Of course you got your best friends and yeah SummerSlam two thousand two, the build up, the the promo. It summarizes it all. Two guys, they were best friends, and then, you know, Triple H takes over DX. But there's the whole, Shawn Michaels goes through the windshield of a vehicle, and Triple H is the first responder being like, oh, my God, my friend. Oh, no. And then it was him that did it. I loved it. It was, to me, it was just great. Brings Michaels back for an unsanctioned match. But then they begin a series of matches. Then we go to the Elimination Chamber. He gets the World Title. We get a three stages uh, of Hell match with each other against uh, or against each other at Armageddon. Then they pull off a fucking outstanding Last Stand, uh, Last Man Standing match at Royal Rumble 2004. <coughs> Bad blood with a Hell in a Cell matches with Chris Benoit. They even have a fucking tribute to the troops boot camp match that was actually really good these guys never had a bad match as long as michaels at all the time of course was the the face no matter what if michaels is out there triple h was going to get booed so it it automatically made for a great match every time number eight Mm, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. <laughs> you hear us reference this all too often, right? Well, uh, yeah. Jake Roberts and Randy Savage, the snake bite, everything where this is, I mean, let me say this. I knew that Jake was a heel early in his life, but I didn't know it till later in life. When I was younger, Jake was always a face. So, From, like, WrestleMania 3 or 4 on, he was a face. Watching him turn heel was really sadistic because he looked like a fucking psycho. And then he goes and does that entire feud with Macho. And I said this earlier about Macho goes all in. You go back and watch. When he gets released in the 1992 Royal Rumble, when he gets allowed to go in there... He runs faster than anybody if you had hit fast forward while they were walking to the ring. He runs so fast and just slides in and dives right after Jake. He's a one-man mission, right? That's how, that's how Savage did his feuds, and you believed in his feuds. And he made Jake Roberts a credible heel.
1: Got him with a devenomized
2: snake
0: maybe it is
2: maybe it isn't oh, don't
1: forget the snake at the uh, wedding reception either
2: oh that one always fucking freaked me out Liz freaking out Liz sells that like a yeah, motherfucker did they tell her <laughs> yeah, I know, cause right. she looked real
1: <laughs> now act really surprised when you open this gift Number
2: seven is the best ECW feud of all time because it was their longest ECW feud and that was Tommy Dreamer versus Raven. Tommy could not get the win over Raven for like years and there was all these factors and different things that happened but it finally comes down to a loser leaves town match which we talked about where Jerry Lawler shows up and the lights keep going out and everything gets awesome one of the best moments of all time but Tommy Dreamer and Raven was it was the Tommy Dreamer was your good guy right he was the ultimate ECW good guy super over and Raven was being just that piece of shit if you will right and this is prior to Raven's Flock this is Raven's Nest in in uh W or in ECW this time number 6 are we not in the middle of a feud right now? Ric Flair and Randy Savage. I'll admit, I remembered them feuding, of course, in 92. I remember them feuding a little bit in 95. I actually didn't remember they feuded this much where we're at in 96 right now, yeah. which is crazy. And while it's been a damn wars. solid
1: feud, man.
2: It's amazing. Like real, it seems like real hatred, right? Or the real antagonist and you got the guy who really hates you. But it's amazing. and Of course, you go back to 9192. Savage is on commentary a little bit. But also, uh, Flair keeps coming to ringside, fucking with them, Also fucking with Piper. But eventually we get the huge blow-off match with Savage and Flair. And he's alternating the photos saying that it was him with Liz and not Savage. And then all the stuff now that we're talking about which we don't want to really deep dive too deep into because we're really in the middle of this feud right now but it was real heat feud i loved it and, and, and like i said again i'm gonna god damn i need like a macho man trifecta for this show nobody could sell a feud like macho man yeah i everybody on this list can you tell me anybody that has better feuds than macho man
1: maybe undertaker and that's a maybe. Okay. That's a maybe.
2: That's a tie. I'll give it a tie. Yeah. I'm okay with giving it a tie because that's two badass legends. Um, number five is kind of a. a it's a, an odd feud when I say it's a but feud. But it makes sense. We, but it does. I mean, it was all of 1996 and 97. You can't tell me there was one feud stronger in that time than WCW versus NWO. I mean, 96, that's what everybody was worried about. Like, is NW a real, NWO a real thing, or is it under WCW's contract? Obviously, within several months, it was able to be figured out, but it was still the biggest feud because are the, these guys are completely taken over. Oh, my God, they picked up Bischoff? Holy shit. What are they going to do now? Like, who's going to save it?
1: Do their own pay per view? Sting's...
2: Right, Man, it, and and Sting's just... Eating hot dogs in a rafter, what the fuck? So it's, it was really I I like the feud honestly. It was because it gave younger talent the opportunity to come in as at least a WCW star, right or whatever, and maybe you join the NWO one day because you know it was like a hundred to a hundred at the end of it. But but either way, it gave more opportunity for people with the heel versus face mode. I kind of think that at least it helped grow talent. Uh, Number four, same kind of era, is Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Mainly, I would say this is kind of your Bret versus Canada, or Bret Hart and Canada versus USA, but it really begins at Survivor Series 96 and almost ends at Survivor Series 97. Yeah, Austin and and Owen are the ones that tangled at Survivor Series and at SummerSlam, but it was still Austin versus the Hart family in a way, and Bret was his biggest opponent. You have your WrestleMania 13 match that we've talked about till you know, we already said it was the greatest match of all time. Uh, Canadian Stampede, you know, these guys had multiple matches, uh, an awesome banger street fight on Raw. I got to see him in Rochester uh, at the Revenge of Taker. Lots of great matches. They just carried the feud nonstop because it seemed like Austin genuinely hated Brett being nothing
0: but a (laughs) crybaby,
2: as he liked to say. And Brett was saying that Austin was nothing but a degenerate or a mag. No, I'm sorry, Michaels was a degenerate. Austin was a low life scum or something like that. Like they, they just it seemed like they genuinely hate each other and they hated each other's styles. And it was awesome. It made for good TV. I, I loved it. Great feud.
1: Yeah, you got the excellence of execution out somebody that you know we've already seen forever. Love him. Uh, you get the double turn with an ascending Steve Austin. So you've got a new, fresh new character to cheer on and a familiar character that you know, you're now going to boo against. And, yeah, it was cheap heat with the Canada versus USA thing. Uh, but with Austin's stock going up so fast and Brett's existing credibility, there's no way to miss on that.
2: Right now, each week, we are getting... Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley yeah, in real life. and we're going right? to get it at the pay-per-view, too. Right. Now, if you had switched, if somehow you can manage at this pay-per-view to turn Drew heel and Bobby a face, that's cool. But you guys haven't done anything like that. You took... Survivor Series, 96, all the way to WrestleMania 13, 97. So we're talking six solid months of Mm -hmm. heel versus face. And you stretch it out another six or seven months, heel versus face, by switching the roles. Hasn't been done since. It was outstanding. The best feud, man. It's not the best feud, but one of the best builders to building, I mean, Austin owes a giant chunk of his career to Bret Hart and sure. I'm sure he has said it before um and uh, and Bret has said Austin was, it was a, a great pleasure to work with in the ring he's a ring general you know he, he goes in he knows what he's doing he's a professional um it, he wasn't a guy that was going to hurt you he kept you safe so weird that everything happened with the Owen and and Austin I know it's just a
1: fluke man you know
2: it was number 3 Man, so little uh, side conversation. This K-fab, the last pal. two feuds that we're talking about here: Steve Austin and Bret Hart, and then the following, which is the Undertaker. Of Mankind. We went back and forth on which one should be number four, or number three, and you switched my mind, ODM, because I actually forgot how deep the feud and how long with longevity the the Taker and Mankind feud went. Starts in 96, where we're at exactly right now, of course. And again, I don't want to spoil too much because we will talk about it again, but it goes all the way into Paul Bearer turning. But then Undertaker will get his redemption in 96's uh, Survivor Series, the same night that Austin and Brett have their first match. And while Taker and Mankind semi-cool off with each other, they fight at that exact same Rochester pay-per-view, Revenge of the Taker, clash heads down the road at a hell in a cell. It was a never-ending feud that just kept coming to grips, where one guy would get one up over the other. Ninety-eight hell in a cell, I think it wasn't necessarily a feud as it was an attraction. Sure. That's one thing I will say. Yep. However, Brett built Austin in a year. Austin, or uh, Taker built Mankind in less than a year. Yeah,
1: I mean, honestly, I'd say four months, maybe. That's my point. Uh, By
2: by SummerSlam, as soon as Paul Bear cracks that urn over Taker's head, you're like, Mankind is the biggest fucking heel in the world. Fuck you.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, too, is who, besides your really big guys, your Viscera's, you know, your Yokozuna's, were really a threat to, at the time. We were really a threat to the Undertaker. There there were no yeah. threats. Now out of nowhere you introduce this character Mankind and I hate to keep using the word character but you know where I'm going with this. You know, you introduce but He was. But you introduce Mankind he was and he's a deranged character. He but and he just went after him. He just he took it right to Taker. Nobody had really ever done that. Uh and you know, uh, not just uh bearer turning on taker but the match that preceded it the boiler room match you know it was out of the ordinary it was different and for these two it fit so you had this new legit threat yeah who they didn't buried fit him all. alive
2: mm-hmm. but buried alive boiler room uh they bring in a guy named the executioner later like there's <laughs> this is a long fucking feud and you know it's funny because as you just said that you just came in and just kicks ass on the undertaker the whole time think about it man if you were watching raw right now you would never see anybody just come in each week beat the fuck out of someone act crazy screaming high pitch like a squealing pig and leave and no one knows anything about it they don't do that nowadays because kind of like the triple h thing yeah well with the internet out there everybody's knowing everything that's going on how about you hire some fucking people and everybody keeps their goddamn mouth shut <laughs> yeah right
1: I'm sorry. Is that
2: too hard? How about when you sign a contract with the WWE? If you are caught leaking, we will fire you, and you'll not be able to work anywhere for a year. Whatever the case is, I'm just saying. Like, why is Meltzer getting so much shit?
1: Yeah, he can
2: only jerk the bucks off so many times. So where is he get? All right, never mind. Number uh, two is a great feud from 1998 to 2000. I mean, these guys were basically headlining almost every pay per view. Either if one wasn't, the other one was, or they were facing each other. It was The Rock and Triple H. Starts with your Nation versus DX feud, capping off with an amazing ladder match that we talked about recently at uh, SummerSlam 1998, and it, it from there. Triple H, you know, he gets injured and and Rock becomes your world champion just a couple of months later at the Deadly Games tournament for Survivor Series. And then Triple H turns heel, joins the corporation around the same time, but then Rock finally becomes face and here we are. We're going to start getting some great matches. These guys had ladder matches, strap matches, cage matches, Iron Man matches. I mean, these guys have gone to the limit in every which way possible, having triple the triple threats, fatal four ways. No matter what, they've always been at each other's face. The biggest tease they ever could have done was three, four years ago when they teased them in backstage on SmackDown, and I was like, "You didn't do anything with it." That was the time I would love to see Rock and Triple H right now. I don't want to see Rock versus Roman. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Rock versus Roman, but I don't want to sure. see Triple H versus Seth Rollins. <clears throat> I don't want to no. see Rock versus AJ Styles. I want to see... I don't want to see you guys go be slow against fast-paced guys. I'd like to see two slow-paced guys have it out. Triple H and Batista, although long, was a decent match. You put Rock in that scenario, that would have been a banger match. Oh, yeah. Like, I would have loved... I've just... That's I. It's an. I feel like it's. It's still to this date is an unfinished feud, but they gotta finish it off at some point.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. We'll see what happens. Just personally, I like WrestleMania it. forty. I'm all-
2: <laughs> <laughs> and at number one, it is Goldberg versus Gilberg. <laughs> no, number one. W- all right, come on. The biggest era of wrestling of all time.
1: I'll take it from here, nurse. (laughs)
2: The excellent, excellent fucking line, if you're going to do that at all. The biggest era in wrestling was the biggest feud where everyone just learned at that time you could tell your boss to go fuck himself. And kids were doing it to teachers, too. First (laughs) hand, saw that. But, (laughs) But it was Austin versus McMahon. Starts late 97 when austin is told by mcmahon no you're not going to be competing anytime soon against owen because of your broken neck and in an msg september of 97 gives uh, mcmahon the very first ever stunner to mcmahon and that's where mcmahon seizes oddly in the ring which was still yeah. to this day <laughs> i do miss the old school extra selling like when you get hurt so bad, you do that kind of like in Rocky Four. After Apollo is down, he does that quick body jump, like his body jerks, and you know what I'm <laughs> like talking about. Like a fish about? out of water. Exactly, McMahon doing that is hysterical. No one could sell Austin better than McMahon. It was, it was his, be- it was the very best feud. It made you watch Raw. Because if you were a wrestling fan, you definitely weren't a fan of this. But for everybody who was a fan of the Attitude Era, 1997 to 1999, it was Austin versus McMahon. When you heard the glass break, you knew it was Austin versus Authority yep. every time.
1: Somebody was getting just a, a rec-
2: Yeah. And I just read a recent interview. Gerald Briscoe said... Him and Pat Patterson wanted to pull the plug on the suges thing as quick as they could because they were getting cheered too much, and it makes McMahon look soft. Right. We had to make McMahon look as heel as possible, so they had to pull themselves from that whole scenario. I go, wow, and it's that's just how much they wanted McMahon to go heel and Austin be that much over. Everyone had... Stone Cold University t-shirts or Austin 316 t-shirts throughout ninety seven ninety nine, And it was honestly a giant help because of Vince McMahon. He was the biggest antagonist you could have ever had as a heel. Nobody was more over as a heel in that time. Hogan is your world champion in WCW throughout most of this time and still doesn't get anywhere near the booze that McMahon is
1: getting on the way out to the ring. Yep pretty much. It's uh, for Hogan, it's X-Pac heat at this point and McMahon is just oh, truly yeah. hated. So, yeah. yeah. Not even compare not even close. No way. It's I it, it, I mean, you knew they were playing
2: characters, but it was like McMahon really didn't like Austin. He looked like I hate you. Like the look in his eyes was like he played a good character, man. I got to say watching him go from announcer to straight heel. And let's say heel started as soon as Brett screwed Brett. Yep, that was it, right? Yep. But just before that was that stunner, right? So it was already, the planting of the seeds were already there with Austin. The Brett screwed Brett thing just put it gasoline on that fire in Austin. That's all he needed, man. It was who would have ever thought fighting the authority would be the best feud of all time? <laughs> it's kind of odd, but that is where we cap off our top. 25 feuds of all time. In a couple of weeks, we are going to be talking the top of the King of the Ring because it goes so fittingly with A, June, and B, everything that we're talking about with our Monday Night Wars. But next week, Nightwing, the analyst, will be back with his good shit of the week. We'll have Bring It to the Table. We also will be reliving the Monday Night Wars, and we will have another... Badass movie of the week. My name is the professor. uh,
1: Professor? professor. professor.
2: (laughs) I'm the professor, Mark Fantasia. (laughs) Blooper reel. All right. (laughs) I am the professor, Mark Fantasia. All right. I'm the professor, Mark Fantasia. Thanks so much for listening to us this week. I bid you a farewell. And as always, ODM is going to leave us with his movie quote of the week. And this week, he is going to do it in the form of the man who is in our top feud of the week, Stone Cold Steve Austin.
1: You already had me do Austin.
2: Goddamn chicken nuggets. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to leave us this week in the form of The
1: Rock. Well, I'll be damned. It's a miracle. Man up and vanished like a fart in the wind. Nothing left but some damn rocks on the windowsill. And that cupcake on the wall, let's ask her, maybe she knows. What do you say there, fuzzy britches? (laughs) Eh.
2: I forgot I asked you to do Austin. It's better that it's not a fifty top topic. <laughs> Won't do that again.
1: You know we'll, we'll have to we'll have to do a fifty once, but it just like blow through it and just have it all be gimmicks, like literally, like big show, big show, big show, big show. Also a big show, but you have to have all the actual dates. Yeah. Right. Okay. The top
2: fifty big show turns as a top topic. <laughs>
1: no, that requires way too much effort
2: coming in a tie all number one <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly there you go